Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 360. I am Peter and joining me as almost always is Connor. Hey, it's starting to feel that way. You've been here a lot recently. Um, although when was the last time it was just me and you and Matt had a week off? I want, mm, that was a while ago. I want to say it was like Christmas time. Yeah, but Matt doesn't take a lot of weeks off unless, unless he's away on holiday usually, like, like now. Yes, yes, he's up doing a Canadian cruise or something, although he was, I think he was posting he's, some nonsense about Boston. Uh, I think he's in Boston today, yeah. Yeah, so he's off doing stuff. He will be back week after next. Uh, so this is your, your duo for this week and next week. Um, apologies for your crushing disappointment that it's Connor instead of Matt. <laughs> I know, I, I will do my best to bring the misery. But that's not what Matt, what Matt does. That's not what Matt does. That, no. That's sure that is. Yeah. You're supposed to try and make up for what Matt usually brings, which is anger and zest. <laughs> Do you want me to go get a, a, a cap? <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah. go grab one from the next room, pretend to be Matt for a bit. Yeah, get a cap. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, we're DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about the week's DC Comics to be read. And unlike last week, which had basically no books uh this week we actually have some things to talk about so coming up on today's show we have the flash issue 800 we have batman 136 we have adventures of superman john kent issue 4 we have shazam issue 2 and i've written this down i actually didn't ask connor but did you read poison ivy issue 13 i did not no oh, okay i, assumed I had you were so that. much to read that i'm behind on that i prioritized that's fair enough okay well We'll check back in on Poison Ivy next issue. I'm sure Matt will be up to date. Uh, and then we have Shazam issue 2, which I might have said already. Uh, Steelworks issue 1. Dark Knights of Steel. I've, done, I've not written down the number. It's 11. It's 11. Okay, good. That's good to know. Uh, and that's that's the show. That's what's coming up. Uh, but we also have a little bit of news. And we got uh, all the usual antics to get through. So that is, uh, what, is what is happening. So... Welcome, welcome to your Xbox 360 episode of uh, Comics from the Multiverse. Oh, throwback. Yes, yes. Actually, um, Talking to Superman said something on Twitter today. And, I, you know, the actual content of the tweet, which was just about movies affecting comics and vice versa, um, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but it did make me think. I just, I, I just had the thought occurred to me that movie and comics move in different time like sort of zones as it were because i was thinking man of steel does not feel that old right i mean i know it's 10 years now this year but it doesn't feel old it's like a relatively modern movie yeah but then i thought that was the you know second third year of new 52 and i'm like that feels like an eternity going comics that was was that villain no villains was the first one wasn't it villains month no, zero issue. Zero, zero. It might have been villains month then. Yeah, either either villains or the were the future one they did that one month. No, that was later. That was, was later? like the fourth one, I'm sure. But I don't know. It just it got me thinking how like time moves differently depending on what medium you're talking about. I think part of it is the fact that you know you get in a franchise like that, you, you don't usually get one every year, let alone you know, you know one every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, Marvel kind of maybe putting that statement to shame a little bit by just throwing every movie as part of the same thing, uh, and you can, you can have three a year. But yeah, a lot of the DC movies have not been like that. 
No, I mean they want them to be, but they, <laughs> they yeah, but they failed. They got a long way to go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're actually look. I think the Flash is out this coming weekend. Uh, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> I mean, it's people, not a real movie. I mean, people have seen it now. There was the advanced that doesn't previews. make it real. People, people have seen it. I've heard some things actually. I can't say them because they're, they're complete spoilers. But I have seen some very mixed reviews. Some that are like, it's amazing. It it, it it completely proves everyone wrong. And some are like, yep, that is a movie. Honestly, the early social media buzz tends to always skew positive. I, I remember Batman v Superman having positive oh, early buzz. Yeah. And uh, I have never been able to trust such a thing ever again <laughs> as a result. So, you know, I'm not putting much stock into that, but it is a thing that's existed. It feels weird not to at least mention there's a new DC Comics movie coming out. Of course, will any of us be going to see it? No? I mean, maybe... I'm definitely not, because after this week, I have no way of getting to the cinema for the foreseeable future. Um, I mean, I'm definitely not going. I'm just thinking that there's a chance Matt might go. To, I mean, I don't think he's looking forward to it, but it's the sort of thing where I could see him... On a whim, oh, you know, he's got a Sunday off or something. He's like, ah, I'll just go and see it. But... Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can get to the cinema in time to see Spider Verse before I lose access for for a while. Mm. Yeah, but... I've not seen that yet. Uh, I had to go see uh, the new Transformers this week for uh, the Ace Podcast because we're re- we've been reviewing all the Transformers films. It's been a very miserable couple of months. I, I'm not going to lie. You got Bumblebee at least. Well, no, because we did that back early days no, of the show, oh, so oh, okay. it was all of them except Bumblebee. <laughs> it's all of them except the best one. Yeah. Um, so I, I, there was the, uh, someone at work, yes, who was trying to describe the one Transformers movie they liked, and they were just like, me and another guy were like, you're describing every single Transformers movie. You're describing all of them. The, the, <laughs> how are we supposed to guess which one it is here? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a pretty miserable time going through those again um, and I'd never seen the fifth one which has its own extent like I almost feel like they're trolling the audience by the time you get to the fifth one and some of the the weird retcons it pulls um, hey still better than the fourth one uh, no I, I will agree technically it's better than the fourth one and both of those are technically better than the second one but I mean we're we are operating in the minutia of shit like we're down in the scale yeah. and we're, we're incrementing up a little bit you know yeah um, I, like, okay with the caveat that I have not watched it in quite a while, in my memory, the first one is still not like an amazing movie, but a solid movie. Yeah, I remember liking it a bit more at the time as well. It doesn't really hold up now if you watch it with modern eyes and mm-hmm. with all the things you know you don't like about the rest of them, because they're all there. All those things that are problems are still in that first one. They're just, but they stick out way more now. And they just like... That's a shame. You know? Uh, so I, I I cannot recommend uh, any so, of the Transformers so, movies. Basically, <laughs> is that including the new one? I mean, it's better than the the B ones, but stick to Bumblebee is what I'm hearing. It's yeah, I don't want to get into. It. I've not recorded a review yeah. for it yet, but it's it's you know it it it's out of utter shit and just into kind of mid territory oh, if i'm hey that's that's watchable <laughs> watchable yes but uh just and i do think that if that had come out first and that was the one that came out in 2007 people probably it would probably hold up a little better than what the actual first transformers movie did but i think there's just a natural thing where it's the seventh one so 
it has to yeah. be extra impressive. It has to do extra interesting things to be remotely worth mentioning. That's and, a shame. You know, this, this, that. So, you know, uh, it's uh, dire times. Uh, the reviews of the new Indiana Jones are not looking hot. I have to go see that in a few weeks for review. Yeah, that's that's significantly more disappointing than a mediocre Transformers movie. Yeah, because you're thinking James Mangold usually makes good movies, but it's yeah. not seeming like it and i mean i mean he's, I, he's got a swamp thing movie coming up so he better pull it out of the bag for that one it doesn't sound i mean it doesn't sound like it's a complete disaster but it just doesn't sound like anyone is that passionate about yeah. it either uh which and honestly at this point i almost would rather watch a disaster than something that's just kind of okay you can get enjoyment out of a disaster i mean It'd be entertaining case of this is a good good time to plug this but uh uh, so the collector's cut which is the show that i do these franchises on uh one by one uh with david we do a monthly patreon bonus show called extra reels where we do so bad it's good movies and this one is not coming out for like another two months i think we're all about ahead in recording but we did a neil breen movie right and it was it was baffling it, you, know, you want to yell at the sky you're swearing you're laughing you're laughing and i'm sort of nervous i'm going to lose my mind kind of way it's a roller coaster of emotions discussing the neil breen movie and then we did as a, a regular bonus episode we did another film uh called monuments men which isn't out for a little bit either but that was just you know that sort of mid film it's just a complete middle of the road it's just kind of disappointing that it's not remotely engaging despite the good cast that it has and all these other things and i genuinely found myself talking about that movie going i miss talking about neil breen i bet there was passion i had passion for neil breen i do not have passion that. for for your, your your middling of the road five out of ten thing this uh we've, we've said this but they're so they're so bland that you just you end up going. I mean, yeah, it 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 exists. It's not offensive, but yeah. I feel like and it gets just... worse as well as you get older, just purely because the more things you watch and the more you have to suffer, more bland, the bigger sin that bland is to you. Like the more yeah. you get, it, it grates on your soul, and you just don't want bland. Um. So you know. Yeah, I I can get, if not enjoyment out of something bad, I can get feeling like uh yeah okay not, not to throw any spoilers but the uh the last issue of batman not the one that we talked <laughs> about this week rage inducing i was angry after reading that issue <laughs> well uh, we weren't too positive on the show uh for that one uh no. although i think i was angrier for the one before that i think i think i was more pissed off the one where he was i mean but we're not in spoilers yet, but I mean, this is like, you know, two issues ago in Batman, so I guess spoiler warning if you care. But, you know, he, he lost his uh, his hand suddenly, yeah. and Matt didn't even notice, and I'm like, he lost a hand, and he's like, what are you talking about? Look there, the panel, he's lost his freaking hand. I barely noticed. <laughs> uh, no, the uh, the multiverse hopping, and what they did with the the whole stuff with the uh, Dark Knight Returns, with the, like, what? why are you, why are you question, answering that question? With the uh, the Joker stuff in that, that book. Mm. Like, why, why are you addressing that in this stupid random issue of Batman? Like, stop, leave that alone. Well, it's issue 900, it's not that random. Uh, <laughs> relative to Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I, I mean, I hated that entire arc. I, it just Ugh. got worse for me as it went. Ugh, yeah, I got angrier and angrier and just, oh. 
And we told you. And part of me was thinking, oh, Connor's going to be contrarian. He's going to read this and sing it. No, the thing is, the first issue, well, I, I quite liked. The second issue was like, eh, it's not good, but it's not, it's not bad. And then it got worse. <laughs> and then it got worse. Well, it's, I think it's when they get to that point where here's the, here's this guy. Oh, by the way, that's this university's Joker, and here's his yeah. name. Once you hit that point, it's like, oh, what are we doing here? And then it's just do, 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 down the roller coaster of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Shit. Um... No, I because I, I think the first issue, I don't think it was like I, I really didn't mind it, and I was like, maybe, maybe maybe you guys are crazy. Maybe I'm gonna be like, oh, this was this was a great arc. It, it was not. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't super into that first issue because I didn't like the, and I just didn't like the idea of doing a multiverse story. But yeah, well, was, uh, yeah, inherently, but... yeah. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't necessarily that bad on its own. But then it just it got bad as it went. So, um, you know, I mean, no, no thoughts on this week's issue yet. We're going to talk about that later in the show. But I was thinking about it, and I'm like, is is this the most I've hated mainline Batman since before Grant Morrison's run? And Grant Morrison's run was like 2006. So that started. Something like that yeah, I'm, I was thinking that might be the the case. Because I, I like I don't really like a lot of like the the back half of Scott Snyder's run, but I don't think I hated it as much as those last couple. You, of you were always kind of just indifferent on it. Yeah, uh, you know, but I, even some of the mediocre stuff that came after Morrison, because like Tony S. Daniel was doing some Batman for a bit. Like I still remember thinking that was all right. It wasn't great, but yeah, it it wasn't good. It wasn't particularly memorable, but. Yep. Didn't make me angry. I don't ever remember being angry at it, yeah. <laughs> so, that's a long time. That, that That's quite a strong statement to be able to say, this is the worst, like, run in Batman, I think. At least, I mean, it could obviously upswing and maybe all these other but things. So far in almost 20 years. Oh, yeah, I was going to say 15, but you're right. It's, 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 I mean, it's what, 17, 18 years? That work. 17, yeah, we're getting 17, close. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you could say almost 20 at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more on the new issue later. Yeah, one yeah. six. Although I will say, I will say, I do like that they're keeping the legacy numbering there on the cover. Regardless I've of it for a long time, yeah. it's the best solution. Regardless of you know the quality or whatever, that legacy. I was not. Ex- I knew why it was there last time because it was issue nine hundred and they wanted to celebrate that. But just seeing that little legacy nine oh one, I was like, oh, I like that. I think, I think they're planning on doing that with. Flash and Wonder Woman as well. Yeah, because they're uh, about to renumber. Yeah, yeah. Which again, because I've, you know, I'm very pro renumbering as we've established on this show before. Like, yes, mm-hmm. give give me new numbers, make it accessible, make it obvious. Connor no can't count to have to... the legacy numbers there. Connor can't count to big numbers. Make it easy for him. It's it's <laughs> for in hindsight. Like, tell me what issue of Detective Comics Tynan's Run starts at? Uh, Without nine, looking it up. Nine thirty. Four, I want to say. All right, now tell me what issue Marika Tamaki starts at. What's your point? Get, get, get to you your can't. point. You, you, my point is, you have to actively look these things up. Whereas if you go, oh, Marika Tamaki's Detective Comics issue one. Yeah, but, so then, much yeah, yes, but then, yes, but then it's what issue one? That's, that's, like that's more complicated other. though because if it's just a number you look it up and that's the number there's no ifs ands or buts but if there's like 10 number ones it's like okay it's number one from 2000 okay. in, whatever in, in my system you tend to I'll be looking for it because you're aware of the creative that's why Tamaki's detective run or Tynan's detective okay. and two um, in this system you're not allowed to renumber during your own run no 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 screw that 
Unless you put a very good reason, like changing your lead character good reason, like, fine. Other than that, no, no, no. You carry on and you renumber when you hand yeah. it over to the next person. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, even in that circumstance, I don't like it because they renumber it again when they go back to the previous, like the original character. And I think that just makes a complete mess. Yeah. It just makes yeah. that a complete mess. So it should, it should just be one run, regardless of the main character changing to Lady Thor or Electra yeah, for you, Daredevil. You get one thing, you just say, that's Aaron's Thor. It runs from one to a hundred or whatever it was. And that's it. Probably wasn't a hundred. Actually, it might have been. It could have been close to that. Yeah, it could have been close. He had like four or five series, but that added up by the time he got there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, aye. So more, more on uh, <laughs> more on Batman later. Uh, this is yeah, issue this yeah. Week. I suppose we have to talk about it later. Uh, so yes, but hey, Connor, there's always time for a comicsology top ten. You know it's true. And unlike that dreaded week five last week, there's actually uh. So, Pete, what are your thoughts on Manchester City winning the treble? The treble clef? The treble... Uh, oh, is this a Star Trek thing? The trebles? Are we talk about trebles? Ooh. That, that's, that's a great idea. But no. No. I, have, I just think I appreciate some football. I have no thoughts. Um, I don't even understand... Uh, Manchester City as a as an idea because there's two Manchester teams and I don't uh, understand what what the point is. What do you mean what the point is? There's two of them. But, but why? Like, if the whole point is is you support where you live, then what's the, what's the purpose of having two? Because they don't they start off as oh well this is our team that's your team and when it gets they they get, they got bigger and like, oh, hang on we can't both be Manchester but but they are Birmingham has two. Liverpool has two. Yeah, London all, has about twelve. It should all merge. This is all just a waste of time. So right, okay. So you want Man City and Man United to be the same. You want Liverpool and Everton to be the same. Birmingham and Aston Villa to be the same. Oh, you you are causing chaos. Why is there a team in England called Aston Villa? Doesn't sound very English. Well, th- I don't know why they're called that. They just are. Look, if you bring up football, I'm going to ask the most stupid, dumb questions I can you're possibly right. think you, of. You, you did ask the stupid, dumb questions. Well, I, I, do you want me to Google an answer for you? No, I really don't. I could not give no, a shit. You did. <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're a Birmingham team. I don't know why they're called that. Why did they even use their feet for the balls? Wouldn't it be easy to just throw the ball into the net? I would. That's called basketball. Yeah, but that's a that's a high-up net. That's like a little, little, little <laughs> ring. I'm talking the big, wide net. Yeah, it's called handball. Literally never heard of that, but okay. <laughs> I don't think it's quite as wide a net, but it is a sport. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Connor. But there's always time for a Kabusology top ten, <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, so we'll look at Tuesday's books and then Wednesday's. So Tuesday, of course, is DC's books. So their current ranking as of right now on Comicsology. Uh, we have no numbers, of course, but we do have the order of which they've sold in. So any guesses? That's interesting with our numbers, is it? It's not as interesting, but it's still, you know, there's some stuff to glean. There is, but without the uh, the, the solid context to ground it, it's it's like it's, it's all superfluous. It makes you and Matt miserable, and that's good enough for it, me. It does, and especially when Batman is usually the top seller, which I'm guessing it is again. It is indeed. Batman is number yeah. one. Um, 
on from Tuesday's books. Uh, number two is Adventures of Superman, John Kent. So that's uh, neat to see. I, I have to assume that's the Tom Taylor name dragging. I that think up, it is because uh, otherwise I would never have picked that. Honestly, I've been seeing that a lot recently. I feel like Tom Taylor, Jeff Johns, and Mark Wade all seem to be doing well. Like. It, like there's books from some of them I don't expect to do as high as they do, but they do because it's the, them that are attached to it, and it's kind of showing you that the creators do push sales for for books at least digitally. I mean, I mean, obviously with uh, physical copies, if anything, it might be the variant artists that are pushing the books more than anyone else. Yeah, but... and then in the bookstores, it's completely different again. Yeah, so you know, it's it's but it's interesting. And sure enough, number three is Dark Knights of Steel, uh, mm. also by Tom Taylor. So Taylor's books seem to be selling well and right given what i just said there number four shazam issue two by mark wade so uh cool and uh, number five is the flash 800 which does have some mark wade in it but it also has of course the final story from the current flash writer and the first story from the new flash writer and a couple other things in there too yeah i would have normally i probably would have guessed that to be number two I guess uh the the tom taylor and, and the mark wade name sells more than than the flash at this point Especially, you know, with the the movie coming out this yeah, week. Yeah, it's well. kind of weird that issue eight hundred, a big milestone issue of the Flash, released one week before the Flash movie comes out. Uh, although it's a Flash movie, and I don't want to say name only because I'm sure there's still flashy things in there, but it's certainly not what I would have put in a Flash number one movie. <laughs> but you know, we we've had this conversation before. Um, yeah, so you would expect that maybe to do a bit better. And maybe this is just down to them not marketing it that well and making a big deal out of it. Maybe. I wouldn't have saving their efforts for the, number one. the new number one. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that might be coming out when the Flash movie's like hitting, you know, the, the, the digital platforms and stuff like that, maybe. Maybe close, up, close to that time. Could be. September. Sounds about right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, number six is Steelworks, issue one. Uh, number seven is Joker, the man who stopped laughing. I think it's interesting that Steelworks, even though it is number one, is outselling a Joker book when I, you know, that may have been unthinkable some time ago. And maybe it shows that at least the avid digital readers aren't just paying for random Joker books anymore. That, I wonder if the price is starting to impact that. Ah, that's, that's still five ninety nine. That's more than every other book, I think, this week, other than... Flash and Batman, which are bigger issues, right? Flash and Batman are only four ninety nine each. They're cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But that's yeah. but everything else is only three ninety nine. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, Flash is like you know a fifty page book. So yeah, and you know. Batman has a backup usually, yeah. right? So yeah, that's, yeah. that's bigger. But yeah, they're for a game. Uh, number eight is Peacemaker tries hard issue two. Number nine is Poison Ivy issue thirteen. And number 10 is the new talent showcase, which I didn't realize they were still doing these, to be honest, but there it is. Not, not did I. That came out this week? Is that? Maybe it's not even DC. Huh? Let me click on it. Maybe it's just because it's got the same title as what DC used to do. Oh, no, it's still technically DC. It's a new talent showcase, the Mailstone Initiative. So... Ah, uh, that makes sense. So it's DC still, but it's uh, specifically Mailstone. So. Yes. Uh, okay. Do you know what is interesting as well? Um, just while we're talking about these being on the Tuesdays and, th and that being separate, obviously in the, the last few weeks there was the news with Image also kind of dropping out of being exclusive to Diamond and going to, I think they've gone to Luna, which is obviously DC's oh, okay. one. 
So in theory, they could go on the Tuesday as well. Uh, th there is a very real possibility within the next couple of months that it will be everyone on a Tuesday except Marvel. <laughs> but no one else has moved to Tuesday yet, though, right? Not yet, but they can. Uh, yeah. They can if they want to, um, because they're all shipped with the DC books. That would be interesting. Yeah, if we're, if we're looking at everyone on a Tuesday, then just... I think if, like, obviously once... Image was like the next big one once they've gone. Like, oh, baby, maybe if they decide, well, screw it, Tuesday. Yeah. That could be the case. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and it, at that point, if you've got DC and Image, like, because I would say that right now, Wednesday still feels like the official new comic book day just because DC is the only one that's changed. But I think if you have Image shifting as well, it probably murkies it enough where now it's either Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on what you like to buy. It is. I think the thing is, right now with a lot of stores, they don't even bother putting the DC books out on a Tuesday. Yeah, the because way, yeah. they just wait, do it all at once. This is, you know, they, they you know they can organize everything all in one go. They don't have to do it all at you know two separate times to you know go through it all. It's just it's just easier to keep their workflow as it was. But if more and more of them start pushing for Tuesday, well, which who knows? honestly is kind of weird to me. Like, I get that you're they're used to doing it all in one go, but I also. You know, from time to time, listen to comic book podcasts that include people who work in comic book stores. And one of the things that I always hear is how hectic a Tuesday night is, like getting all the books ready for the next day. Surely half of them being done on a different night would make both days more manageable. Possibly. But I think what you have to consider as well is that a lot of comic stores, especially smaller ones, will close early on a Tuesday. Mm. So they're not, you know, they're like, they know it's. For for a small comic shop that deals with monthlies on a regular basis, probably like seventy eight percent of their sales are the monthly comics versus trades and other things. Most of those customers again are the ones that you know are going to be coming in on the Wednesday. Well, okay. That's the new day. Come on, it's like twenty percent single issues, five percent trades, and then seventy five percent Funko Pops. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm Those kidding. are the your mega stores, yes. That's why I'm to <laughs> smaller comic stores. I mean, I joke that I don't even think Funko Pops like because then they have to destroy like a lot of stock last year or yeah, something. Like, yeah. so I, I think that fad is over. But there was a time there for a hey, couple I was of in, years. I was in a Forbidden Planet earlier today. There is significantly less Funko Pops than there used to be. Mm. Still, a lot of other stuff because that's what they do. But yeah, I, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I bet it's not replaced with like more books again. It's probably just other novelty stuff and other collectibles. Other collectible. It, it, it's it's more diverse though. I'll give it that. It's not mm. all just Funkos. There's a lot. Um, blind bags are kind of a big thing right now, from what I can see. There's a lot of variety of those. Okay. Okay. But, but like yeah, you know, for like little collectible figures and like like, like things like that, but. There's a lot of, again, diversity in what they are as opposed to all, you know, they, they share a common theme with being just, you know, blind bags of a collection. But other than that, they are different. Um, but I don't mind that. But, you know, you, your small comic stores that are dealing primarily with comics, probably not even with that much manga, they're dealing with a lot of single issues. A lot of those people are going to come in on the Wednesday. And... I think, you know, so by the time it gets to Tuesday, you, your customer base is at its, presumably at its lowest point of the week. Monday, Tuesday has got to be the lowest. Mm. 
So a lot of them will close early just so they can right spend a few hours processing everything and getting it all set up for the Wednesday. Morning. I do wonder though, like it. So I mean, this is maybe going to be different as more shift to Tuesday, and it may be worth like shifting like their what used to be their Tuesdays now their Monday kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I do wonder, like let's say it's still just DC for a while. I wonder if for a small comic shop, how many customers who aren't regulars yet come in on a Tuesday asking for DC books and get turned away. Like, how many of those does it take before they reconsider how they deal with their DC books? Good question. Because, you know, if, if you're a DC fan and that's specifically what you really want to buy, you know, I mean, maybe you'll grab some other things when you're there, you try some other stuff, but I say you mostly buy DC. You go in that Tuesday to a new shop to try it, they say, oh, we don't put our DC books out until the Wednesday. Uh, you probably just go elsewhere. And you, you may, I'm not saying you necessarily... Oh, I'm never coming back because they've <laughs> they've insulted me. How dare they? But you know, if if you leave with that impression and you go somewhere else, you may just stick to wherever you go instead, rather than you know coming yeah, back. Yeah, there's, there's there's three possibilities. One, the customer goes, okay, fair enough. I'll come in on Wednesdays in future. They, uh, you know, there's there's, there's definitely a, a certain amount of people who just don't care enough about that day. And they 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 know DC's day is Tuesday, but they're like, ah, oh, whatever. I can wait the day. They didn't know this time. It won't matter that much in the long run. There's people who, like you say, will go to another shop that will have them out if there is another shop available. That's always, you know, a possibility that they don't. The third option is that for whatever reason, they're a person that's incredibly online. They're very afraid of spoilers on a Tuesday. That's why they go and seek out their books on a Tuesday. It's no other comic store. They're the people who might shift to digital, and you, mm-hmm. they, you know, they get lost completely in, in terms of those stores. Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, I actually toyed with switching to physical again, just because I wanted to enjoy reading a book in my hands for a bit, and I ended up quitting and sticking with digital because every so often there'd be a delay, and I, you know, for, for just for my store specifically, saying, "Oh, we're not going to get these books in for an extra week or something like that," and like, well, I do a podcast. I kind of need to read the books on the it's, week they um, came out. <laughs> it's it's actually it's a little bit different over here in the UK because we're still getting every book through diamond even dc mm. books they come through diamond international so they're all shipped over and and brought out from that uh they come out on wednesdays here no matter what it, you know whether the stores would like to put them out on a tuesday oh, regardless sure. makes sense. They, they don't get them on time except of course uh digitally i assume digitally obviously they did yeah dc day so amazon will have them up ready on a tuesday so yeah, that, you know, that is already you... <laughs> an for digital if you wanted to, to look at it that way. It tells you how long it's been since I've like rushed to get my books on the day they released that I had to like double check there if they came out on Tuesdays here. You say that as if <laughs> during the Comicsology Top 10 you don't have to separate them by a Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, that's a good point. That's all. Well, no, but I'm on US Comicsology. Oh, okay, well. I think UK, they come out on Tuesday. They, they, I'm sure they come out on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure they do. It's just been such a long time since I've went on like release day to get them. I usually get them on like a Friday, just because that's when I'm starting to think about reading my books for the podcast. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, it wouldn't be nice. Wouldn't it be nice if Amazon still had the subscriptions thing and you didn't have to worry about it and they just <laughs> did it for you? I just, yeah, I, I, like, there are times when I'm really, like, excited and into things and i care about getting things on the day it comes out and it would annoy me having to wait the extra day but for the most part i'm quite happy just like as long as i can read them for when i expect to be able to which in our case is for the show like i'm not that fussed but um 
Like, I, but I, I get if you're excited, though, and, like, somewhere saying, oh, we're not putting these out, why? Like, I, I, that could annoy me if I cared and I wanted yeah, to get them. Well, it's, it's, it's hard for me to do, because I'm at least one month behind, if not multiple, on most of my books for DC right now, because I read, you know, especially, you know, that, that period where I had where I you know, was not getting the right days off, so I wasn't on the show for a while. Um, I've been reading everything on Infinite. Because it's only one month behind, and I, I can, you know, other than when I'm on the show, I can live with that. I, you know, that's not that far. Well, you're uh, successfully dragging this comicsology top ten out, so I'll, I'll do the Wednesday book, shall I? Uh, uh, you'd forget. Uh, so you just be like, oh, well, we'll move on. Any guesses to what number one from Wednesday? No, is? Hang on, hang on. Let me have a a quick glance at what actually got published by Marvel. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, ooh. There's so many X Men books you could pick. There is. I, I, I'm seeing two immediately. I'm like, who? Two, two obvious. Oh, oh, but is it that? Okay, just tell me this. Is it one of the new number ones? No. No. Okay. In that case, I'm gonna go with Immortal X Men. It is Immortal X Men issue twelve. Uh, that's number one. Uh, which is the Kieran Gillen book, and then number two is X Men issue twenty three by Jerry Duggan. Yes. Uh, number three is X-Men Before the Fall, Mutant First Strike, Issue 1. What the hell? I don't even see that one on it. <laughs> I have to open it oh, up. Oh, it's all the way down there. Yeah, Steve Orlando, apparently, uh, on that. Mm. And then number four is The Ambassadors, Issue 6, which is not a Marvel book. That's a Mark Miller book. Uh, number five is Daredevil, Issue 12 by Chip Zarsky, which, again, we talked about renumbering things. There's no way he's only on Issue 12 of his run, but... Here we are. <laughs> no, he did. So he had a, a main run, and then he had a mini, where it was, uh, not Matt as Daredevil. It was Electra, I think, wasn't it? Yes, and then it relaunched. I think after that. Hmm. Because, but, for, because reasons. Prime example, though. Prime example. It's all, the, it's all the worst part of that is. It's still Chiquetto on art, which I'm pretty sure he was like the artist on the the first couple of issues originally as well. So it's not mm. even like it's it's a massive shakeup. It's it's the same book. Yeah, number six is Fantastic Four issue eight. Number seven is Invincible Iron Man issue seven, and number eight is Loki issue one by Dan Waters and Dustin Wynn, Funnily enough, uh, number nine is Bishop War College, and number ten is Spider Man issue nine. Which, um, not that we talk about Marvel news on this show, but I think I saw this week that Superior Spider Man's coming back with Dan Slott. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah, it is. Because <laughs> Spider-Man has had no new ideas in a long time. Dan Slott needs, Dan Slott needs to leave it alone for a start. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even, like, hate Dan Slott in the same way that what, some people what, do. I don't hate him either, but he wrote, like, so many issues of Spider-Man. He's, he, he has written more issues of Spider-Man than anyone else. Like, yeah, he's had his fill. <laughs> like, it's, we can move on. Yeah, and... Mm. I'm like superior Spider-Man. I know, I know it was controversial, but it was it was at least a fresh idea at the time. Now it's just uh, we don't know what else to that do. Was, that was right around when the New Fifty Two was starting, was it not? I'm just I'm just mm. thinking because I remember I DC timeline quite well, and Marvel I tend to remember by like what was going on at DC at that time. <laughs> I might say it was around the uh, same time. 2013, it started. Oh, it was a little bit later. So I was, I was, I was a couple of years into the New Fifty Two. All right. Yeah. But, not far though. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, also, it, was, it was January 2013, so it was like oh. 15 months in. 
Alright, so we're all on the third trades, effectively, of uh, U52 at that point. Yeah. So, alright, well there you go. That's the Comic Soldier Top 10. Uh, as promised, Connor's favourite segment. Matt's favourite segment. Everyone's my favourite segment. Lies and slander. <laughs> Uh, we do have a bit of news, actually. We have an exciting bit of news. This was news that came out of nowhere this week and highly piqued my, uh, my, yeah. uh, what's, what's, not my curiosity. Interest. Yeah, my intro. I was just, I wasn't curious. I was, I knew I was in. Like, I, I was ready Stoke, to jump. You, you must, it stoked your passions. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, it piqued my passion. Uh, which sounds a bit dirty. <laughs> yeah, I said stoked, not peaked. You, you, you made it worse. <laughs> piqued my passion. So, no, we're getting a new Birds of Prey book. Um, but more nobly, a writer from Marvel that we have been asking to jump ship to DC for literally years. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what? The, Tom Taylor, it happened him quite quick, where we wanted Tom Taylor to jump ship, and it happened... You know, it felt like a while at the time, but... It wasn't really. It, it's not really that Technically, he was already doing Injustice, so he wasn't like completely not in DC, but like it, it was out of the realm of anything we were looking at. Um, yeah. So Kelly Thompson is finally coming to DC Comics and she is going to be writing a new Birds of Prey book, uh, which is super cool. Um, I remember it being someone I liked on art as well. Um, yeah, Leonardo Romero is the artist. Yeah, I've seen some of the the stuff that they've been working on. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really cool. Um, so and we got, we've got like a, a, a new lineup as well. It's a unique lineup where only one of the original birds is on the team and is the leader of the team. Uh, and Kelly Thompson sort of revealed a member each day. So uh, I'll try and do it in the order she revealed it, just from memory. But uh, so Black Canary is the leader of the team. Yes. She's there, uh, and then she was revealed Cassandra Kane, and I went, "Oh, that's an interesting little addition." It's interesting because I think. Obviously, okay, you've already said there was only one of the original members, so I'm not spoiling anything now by saying Babs isn't here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is an interesting, like, replacement, like Batgirl for Batgirl, almost. Yeah, but when Babs, I mean, obviously... That it, cl- it was not, as Oracle, yes. Yeah, not including some of the newer teams where she was Batgirl again. Like, she was never, like, out there actively fighting with the team, so this does feel different to me, having cast does, there. Yeah, but I think it's it's, it's notably, like, uh, kind of like the same, like, family-style replacement. Yeah. Uh, but then things got really weird with number three, which was Big Barda. I'm like, okay, all right. That was the, that was the bit where I went, okay, I think I'm into this. Like, I mean, as if I wasn't by the team anyway, but just like the, in terms of the lineup. Yeah, it was like, now we're doing something different. We're not just doing the same old thing. And then yeah. four was Zealot from uh, the Wildcat stuff, which, you know, like, I, I dropped off that book, even though there was some fun stuff to be had in it, because it was too much to like get to know all these characters. Having just one of these characters on a team of people that I know is a lot more appealing. It's a lot yes, more enticing have... to get to know them that way. It's not like a, a positive or a negative to have her here specifically. No. Um, but it's more like one of those, okay, I'm not familiar, but having one of these characters bouncing off all the other characters I do know might make her, you know, more interesting memorable you know e- easier to get a, a hold of as a character yeah and then the last member was uh harley quinn which bizarrely because of the that damn movie that came out like she's kind of associated with birds of prey now even though she wasn't originally in the comics the but... way um kelly thompson was talking about it though because like she was 
tweeting, obviously, you know, with these reveals, like, yeah, we knew this one was going to be divisive. Well, I, I think the phrase she used was wild card, which made me think she's the Charlie Day of the team, but, you know. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if that was a not intentional choice. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know if this was an editorial mandated thing, as you have to have Harley on this team. But also, I can see Kelly Thompson wanting Harley, right? It's, it's yeah. her sort of character. And, and like I say, you know, throwing a wild card with the rest of that team. Look, I love Dinah, I love Cass, I quite like Barda. So, I mean, three out of five, just heavily in the positive, is like enough to like get... And Kelly Thompson made me enjoy a roguing Gambit book. And I hate yeah. Gambit. <laughs> yeah, Gambit's a boring bastard. So, I mean, like, even, even if I don't end up loving Zealot, and even if... I'm never sold on Harley's inclusion, which I think I will be, to be honest, because I don't hate Harley. I think Harley's perfectly fine in lots of circumstances. If you hated Harley, you wouldn't love Harleen. Yeah, Harleen's fantastic. Uh, it's all just about the approach. And I think Kelly Thompson's typical sense of humor and the way she writes characters, I think will work well here. Yeah, I think this will be more the quote-unquote um, traditional approach to Harley Quinn uh, in, you know, in the current, you know, like, you know, inclusion yeah. of her t style. But I expect Thompson to do it well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we were talking about Taylor earlier, but like, uh, you know, Harley was on his Suicide Squad, and she was never a problem there. Like, she she was a fine, yeah. you know, quirky character in the team with some funny lines. You know, I I can see this being kind of. This is this is neat. Obviously, I hope it's a door for more Kelly Thompson books at DC. But you know, we have to start with one, and this is a pretty there strong is, um, lineup to start with. Also, I've seen I haven't seen this confirmed. Uh, by Thompson or or anywhere else, but I have seen people saying this is actually a, a rotating roster. Um, so there'll be some of these will be leaving and others will be coming in as as the book goes on. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what to speculate on that really, other than just I expect Black Canary will be the one who never leaves because she's the one in charge. But yeah. Yeah, that's curious. That's curious. Uh, oh, um, obviously, like she's been still. She, I think she's still been doing Captain Marvel at Marvel, but like a I lot. I think of, it's just about wrapped up. Or maybe yeah, it's still going. But, like, it definitely got to the fifties. Yeah, but a lot of her other books, like recently that I enjoyed. I mean, there were a couple of years ago now, but you know, Kate Bishop was great, but lasted only you know a few trades. And then West Coast Avengers was great, but only lasted 10 issues. Oh, man. It kind of felt like they kept cancelling stuff We're going to get a new Jeff the Landshark. <laughs> It'll be Frank the the Air Turtle or something. I don't know. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> the Sky Turtle. Frank the Sky Turtle. There you go. <laughs> I'm in for it. Um, oh, I really enjoyed um, Kelly Thompson's uh, Black Widow book. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was essentially not not too far off it being a kind of birds of prey book in its own right. I don't think that lasted that long either, did it? No, it was like two trades. Just, God damn it, DC, you better not screw this up. Give give it at least eighteen issues minimum. Yeah, yeah. I, I like thirty. Thirty is an omnibus size. So. Uh, look, I want a minimum of three trades, <laughs> minimum. But yeah, I'm I'm. I'm really excited for this. This could—it's probably one of the most exciting announcements that DC have done in a while. And they've had some pretty good announcements. 
yeah, it makes me feel a little bit better about Batgirl's ending. That not just because Castle have a home to go to, but it's kind of you know, like once upon a time, I'd have said Kelly Thompson would be like my perfect pick for a Batgirl book. So having her on this is mm-hmm. kind of like you know close enough. Next best thing, yeah. yeah. So uh, hopefully this leads to more work with her at DC. And uh, and to be fair, most of the, mar- the writers that I've wanted for Marvel that have came over have worked out quite well. I think. Obviously, Taylor has been killing it with Nightwing, and we've loved some of his other stuff, Deceased and things like that. Um, I think Tamaki had a really great run in Detective and an enjoyable period on Wonder Woman. Um, and I hope she keeps getting more DC work as well. Seems to shame whatever happened with the Green Lantern stuff behind the scenes with that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, Ajibella Wilson's Wonder Woman wasn't as amazing as I think we all hoped it might be, but I hope I hope they keep trying with her as well, because... She was, yeah. she was another great grab from from the Marvel side of things, um, and I didn't know Kelly Sue that well, but she was also kind of a grab from uh, Marvel, and her Aquaman was great. Yeah, I mean, uh, lower on the the scale, but uh, Alyssa Wong doing the Spirit World book, it's another Marvel grab. Ah, oh, okay. I even I don't know who that was. So uh, she's been doing the the Afra book for years, ah. and uh, amongst other things. But that's you know what I've been reading for a while. But yeah, so uh, this was delightful news this week, um, and now, you know, now, now I think one of the best writers currently doing mainstream comics can do some stuff at DC now. It's just a nice, it's a nice turn of events that I didn't necessarily see coming anytime soon. So yeah, uh, although it does make sense when you stop and think about all of her books, other than Captain Marvel being like end ending quite soon uh, over the last like five years at Marvel. It makes sense why she would maybe be more tempted to go and jump ship to somewhere else. John, now that you mentioned a Captain Marvel, so I'm thinking as well. There was that period, I don't know if you were still reading it, in the uh, the kind of the other dimension sort of section. I don't think I got too far into her Captain Marvel. Uh, I think I read the first like two trades worth, which I think started off with her going into like another dimension. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know where it was. I read like 40 issues of that run, so I don't <laughs> remember where it was. Um, yeah, it was like it was kind of another dimension. It was kind of like a time bubble thing. But she kind of formed a team in there as well. With like, I think Echo was on it, and a oh yeah, no, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was kind of a very again Birds of Prey esque sort of setup. She's been training. She's been training she's, she's for had a this. Couple, couple of practice runs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's cool. So that is coming. When did they say that? Was that September? That's coming. Have they said? I think it said September. I'm sure that's what she tweeted. Yeah, September fifth. That, that makes sense. That's kind of when we're due the next round of books after this break. It's also the next month we're getting solicits for as well. Ah, uh, yeah. When are, when are we due September solicits next week? Uh, prob. Yeah, probably next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and the last solicit was really boring because it was just the second half of Eight Terrors. So. <laughs> oh God! Don't remind me. <laughs> I got. I don't. I can't remember what book it was. I got to the end of this week when I was reading it, and it said next time night terrors. I went oh already. Please I know. No. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the pain. I feel the pain. Um, I, I, do you know what? I think it was Shazam. Yeah. Oh, to be fair, I do think the Shazam night terrors is probably one of the ones that I'm looking forward to most. But yeah, it was just. It was just. Rem- it just reminded me about the existence of the concept. I know. Though. I know. It's going to be kind of a miserable couple of months, probably, but. Hey, that's what it is. All right. So, yeah, with all that said, we can get on to the comics. 
uh, for the week. We'll start off with the Flash issue 800. There's five stories, so we'll we'll go through creators uh, as we hit them. But uh, obviously, the first story is the uh, the Jeremy Adams stuff. This is kind of his his little finale, which is kind of standalone on its own as well. So even for you, you probably didn't feel like this. I, I I honestly I didn't read this issue because I assumed <gasps> like these issues always are that it was eighty percent the end of the run and then like ah here's like a few little like three or four page stories like uh, most of these have been in the past. Nah, not really. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, okay, well, uh, like the right on me, I guess. Like, like Jeremy Adams does write the first issue, uh, the first story, but the first story it's relatively standalone in what it's doing. Uh, like you could have put that in any special flash issue. Um, honestly, I was pleasantly surprised overall with this issue because sometimes these can feel like a collection of shorts that are just kind of fluffy. Um, there is one or two that are a little fluffy, but I would say that I quite liked three out of the five stories, and importantly, uh, one of the ones that I quite liked was the the new writer. There was the new team, Size Barrier, right? Size Barrier for the the, the new run. So, no, I'm uh. I was feeling quite good about this by the time I wrapped up with it. They're not all amazing, but the the quality... And I think part of what maybe helped here is that it's only 50 pages with five stories as opposed to 100 pages with, like, 10. <laughs> like, I yeah, do, I do, that probably does help. I do think that helps. Uh, so, yeah, the first story is Jeremy Adams for Ando Persarin, and it's a fun little standalone thing, actually, where it's a bunch of C-list and D-list villains sitting around uh, talking about going to different cities and you know one's like oh you don't go to metropolis because of this and you, oh, you don't go to gotham because that batman's crazy and someone is like oh yeah but like you know central city's quite cushy you can go and rob a bank there and then like one of them's like what are you crazy the joker went there once and like you know they tried to release his joker gas and like the flash got him like before anything happened and there was like a funny little joke with condiment king where he tried to rob a bank in central city and he's I'll just read out what Condom King says in this one panel. Uh, Let us catch up to the scenario. I'm robbing this bank and all of its cheese. <laughs> and then he gets swished out of the bank and ends up in a desert somewhere. And apparently it took him a year to get home. So That's kind of brutal. <laughs> Jeez. It just got a long time to travel home, that's all. Uh, yeah, but like abandoned in the desert? I assume he's near the touristy parts where he can... If that was the case, he'd get a flight. Maybe, maybe he can't get a flight. I don't know. He's a criminal. Well, he's, got a, he's got a passport with him, I suppose. Yeah. A passport, yeah. There's a lot of red tape to get through. Yeah. Um, hey, just, just imagine him sat in the embassy. As far as punishments go for robbing a bank, like this doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> Years in prison versus I this. don't know. At least that's actually like mandated and regulated, not just. It's meant to be a, a desert. It's meant to be a fun little joke. Stop picking at it. <laughs> no, it's a very harsh punishment. I, I, I think that this is the Flash. Wait, which Flash uh-huh. is it? In the, in the, is it still Wally? It doesn't. Well, it's, Wally's it's Wally in the run. It doesn't specify which Flash they're telling the story about, though. Oh, okay. So unknown. They do. They do mention Wally's kids, though, and how they're uh, a nightmare, and how uh, Thunderheart, which is a uh, Iris uh, superhero name now. Um, like she she may just give you a wedgie when she's done punching you at super speed just because it makes her laugh. Um, so you know she's a kid. But anyway, yeah. So and there's a whole bit where Wally chased down Mordru because he stole a lollipop from someone, 
and he chased chased Mordred to the end of the universe just to get this lollipop back. It's it's all very lighthearted and got kind of a tongue in cheek kind of vibe to it. So you know, you don't want to take any of it too seriously. But all, it's all building up though to this criminal who's like, ah, I robbed the bank in Central City today, and the rest of them start freaking out, and then the door bell goes, and it's just Wally standing there, uh, and that's the end of the story. Like it's it's basically just a fun little kind of like you know what the villains think of the flashies and how dangerous Central City is and how in some ways it's scarier to go there than it is Metropolis or Gotham because the speedsters are actually like impossible to deal with uh, unless you're, you know, either a speedster yourself or, and they mention the rogues, but like, yeah, they're just crazy. Like, <laughs> there's a reason they're why they're, wrong. they're a bunch of losers because they, they're not smart enough to get away from the speedsters. So... Yeah, I, mean, I thought it was a fun little story. I, I, admittedly, I was expecting some kind of like, you know, full stop, some you know, like a, a final punctuation on his run. Instead, it was kind of just a standable little thing. Uh, they referenced the family, so you know, it, it still feels like it fits. But um, it definitely works for just if you just pick this up and haven't been reading the run. Uh, the second story is the Mark Wade story with Todd Nock uh, on art. Todd Nock just did the uh, Star Girl mini with uh, Johns. Yes. So uh, that's where I know the artist from. But uh, this is an impulse story where, again, it's very lighthearted. It's got a lot of fun Flash vibes in it where Mirror Master's trapped uh, Wally and Max Mercury in a, a mirror dimension and they're relying on impulse to uh, run around and get the mirror gun back so that they can, he can let them out. But then he breaks it. Um, but it's, it's mostly just kind of like the, the dialogue and the, the back and forth where basically Wally's getting really frustrated and yelling at him because Bart just keeps running off before he finishes sentences or getting instructions properly. And the, the ultimate thing at the end is that uh, Wally's like, you know what, Max, you put up with him all the time. I have so much respect for you right now. Um, so it, it's just kind of a, a nice little primer on the type of personality that Bart has and how the rest of them have to deal with him. And obviously it does save the day ultimately in the end. Um and even at the end, Wally, when he says thank you, he looks really annoyed about it <laughs> because it's been a nightmare putting up with him. Uh, I, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. Again, this was another good little standalone story that I felt had... It had enough of a hook to what the story was. Uh, that I, it didn't just feel like fluff. Whereas I do think the middle two that are coming up next, which is the uh, the Williamson story... Um, mm. <laughs> uh, where it's it's Barry taking Iris on a date, um, and he uses the cosmic treadmill to go into the future and see their their kids in the future, the twins. Um, and then there's just a lot of narration about how much family means to the Flash and how important everyone is. Um, it turns out that it's Wally talking about Barry to Linda because they're babysitting. Or, well, not babysitting because they're kids. But you know what I mean? Like they're they're home with the kids. Uh, and then Barry and iris come back at the end and they just kind of all hug and that's basically all it is um it's perfectly fine but it, it kind of falls into that trappings that a lot of these stories do in these specials where it's less of a story and more just here's the characters talking about like like what makes them nice <laughs> so here's you know here, here's eight to ten pages of just this is the flash family and we all love each other very much here's some sentimental stuff so yeah, yeah, which is usually what most of the things in these specials are. Most of them, yeah. But to be fair, I really like the first two stories, so I think this one, you know, uh, because it was the first one that felt like this, it wasn't too bad, but it, it definitely stuck out to me as being, that's what this is. Um, and then the fourth story, which is the Jeff Johns one, um, like, it kind of falls into the same 
sort of thing but except for the flash family it's more about zoom so it's just kind of re-establishing who zoom is what his motives are how he became zoom how he wants to make wally a better flash um talking about how his, his father uh, was a murderer and all that and that's basically all it is it's just kind of him reiterating all this uh so again i kind of felt like it didn't really have a story as much as it was just jeff johns reminding everyone hey this is the reverse flash i made this is his shtick ah so it was a wiki entry with art it kind of was this one kind of was um it does however though have uh was it scott collins i want to say I need to go back to the credits page. That's a classic Jeff Johns flash yeah. artist. It was one of Jeff Johns's like flash artists on it. Uh, yeah, Scott Collins. I was right. Uh, so you know, it's it's got that classic look. So there was a bit of nostalgia if you've read Johns's flash run from that you know two thousands time period. You'll you'll probably feel something for this seeing it again. Um, but it really is just the the little short story of nostalgia rather than actually having any kind of story with a point at the end. You know, it's basically it's just it's Zoom just saying, I'll always be Zoom and this will always be what I'm trying to do. Okay, we've learned nothing new then, is what you're saying. <laughs> Zoom, baby. That's it. I mean, if you're, I guess these do have a bit of a purpose in that if you're a newer reader and you don't know Zoom and you've not read Hizzy's Flash Run, maybe this makes you want to read Johnsy's Flash Run. It might, but maybe. I don't know. It feels like it's there to pad out the page count. Well, I get it. I mean, he's a, I mean, Johns is an important writer to the Flash. He's got the most, probably the most well-respected Flash run that there is outside of Wade, maybe. So it, it makes sense that they gave Wade a story, they gave Johns a story. Like I understand it. I suppose yeah. the critique then is maybe on Johns of saying, "Hey, why didn't you actually, you know, do a story <laughs> as opposed to just here's who Zoom is?" And he was busy that week. Yeah, he's obviously all of the things that bring he, he brings up. It's all in that original run. Like it's all revealed in that run. Yeah, it makes sense. So, you know. Um, but that leads us to the final story, which is the Cy Spurrier story. Which um, is arguably the most important one of the issue. Yeah, because this is the one that's actually, you know, a tease of the, the new run to come. Um, and I, I'm happy to say that I quite like this. Um, and I especially like the art, because the art felt very different to anything I've seen in Flash in quite some time. Uh, it starts off with Wally and Linda on a date. And Who was the artist? Sorry. Um, it's not on this page. I'll tell you when I get to the credits page. <laughs> I see. Um, but the it starts off with them on a day, and Wally's basically narrating and saying that he's promised Linda that there's no powers tonight, but he can't help but you know, go and do things when he hears something. So he's basically sneaking off with his super speed, like when she blinks, <laughs> to go and like save someone or mm. or do something somewhere. Um and then there's like a sort of like ripple in the the speed force or something i can't remember the exact word that he used for it there was, there was a blip um and sure enough he ends up running into what turns out to be mirror master and like a like a, a tech like mech suit kind of thing uh, and it's like someone's given mirror master this technology which is probably teasing who the real villain of the first arc is going to be in the in the run um but it's it's caused this but it's got the, the art is uh wonderful and it, it does this thing as well where there's a lot of um I don't even know how you describe this. There's a lot of... There's probably a name for this. It's like... So there's a lot of... It's like a grid of panels, right? And most of the panels are filled in. But... Some of them do have negative white space around the border. And there's really no... Like... How do I explain this? So some of the panels make up one big panel. 
but there's just so if you imagine a normal comic layout right where let's say you've got like a, a panel in the corner and then but that's on top of like a bigger panel that takes up half the page and then there's like maybe three panels at the bottom or something right just like a, a typical comic layout yeah it's kind of like you still get that layout but everything takes place in this very specific uh grid which has got four by four in the middle but there's kind of like half panels all around the edge okay. as well i get it so it's it's a full image split up into gridded panels anyway yeah it's like fractured yeah i've seen that before. yeah yeah and a lot of the the books like that um and effectively there's a page where wally's running and it does that classic comic book thing where he's actually it looks almost 3d because he's going on top of the the brake lines of the panels you know he's Mm. he's kind of on top of it so it's out of the panel yeah. yeah so he's kind of popping through it so it's very, very good. Like, uh, but I think the thing I really like though is the the facial expressions and like, you know, just Wally and Linda sitting at the table for their date. Um, it's just a, an art style that I've not seen on Flash in quite some time. Uh, yeah. it, it's got almost a. I don't want to say Farnes, uh, but it's definitely kind of like leaning towards that direction. But um, yeah, so. Now we hear a voice talking to Mirror Master at the end, um, and saying, you know, like you, uh, you know, all these. Basically, Mirror Master stole a lot of energy from the Speed Force with this suit, um, but he's failed to to do anything here. Um, but the voice says, uh, Mister McCulloch, before the criminal Wally West returns to torment you further, there's still so much to do. So whoever this is thinks Wally's a bad guy, or you know, at least from their perspective, they think Wally West is a criminal. So probably someone is upset that he's uh, messed about with time or something. <laughs> Possibly. I uh, mean, wouldn't be the first time. I would expect that's probably the case. Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, at the end of the issue as well, uh, you know, Wally comes back and he thinks he's gotten away and gotten back in time before she'll notice, which I do have to critique a little bit because there's a couple of moments when he's fighting Mirror Master where he says things to him, which says to me that at least some time is passing <laughs> whilst he's fighting Mirror Master. It's not all in the blink of an eye. So yeah. that, that doesn't quite work. But when he gets back, though, uh, and he lands in the, the restaurant, he thinks he's gotten away with it. But Linda look, sort of looks over and like, there's just chairs all over the place and stuff like you know the the, the force of them coming back in is just like completely wrecked the place um and you know so it's teasing that you know, he's going to deal with maybe like the the marital kind of struggles of like someone living with a speedster and like what that means because she's not like, even mad at him or disappointed she's just not surprised that he kind of like went against his word and went and used his powers anyway so mm. it feels like this is something they're going to be tackling with in the book so i mean as a mission statement of a of an issue to say hey like we're going to be dealing with this part of his personal life the marriage is important uh the kids probably are too but so it's teasing his villain it's teasing the art style and it's saying hey we're going to be talking about his marriage like i think it does a good job of setting up what the book's going to be um yeah and the art on this was make the adult dreamer uh oh okay so i've seen again another poach from a lot of marvel work hmm? uh what's the closest dc artist i can think of it's like heavy dark shadows, right? Yeah, um, heavy dark shadows with like heavy. I would say most of it's Perkins. Yeah, it's a little. Per- it's kind of like Perkins meets a Fornes because it's got like dark shadows, but it's also got kind of flat faces. They're very expressive mm. though, but they're kind of flat as well at the same time in a good way. Like it, it looks really good. It's got a really specific style to it, um, which is good. I'm excited. Uh, so I, I hope uh, 
Diodot Jr. is doing a lot of the uh, a lot of the art. Um, so I, I would say I thought the first two stories were great little standalone stories uh, about how the villains see the Flash, and then about Impulse, and then the last story I thought was a really good tease of what this new run is going to be. And you know, and I, I was sorry to see Adams go, but this tease has made me kind of excited for the new run, which I guess mission accomplished. And you know, the other two stories aren't bad like they're, they're perfectly fine and they fill that void i think i'd be more frustrated with them if this was like twice the length and there was like another five of them because it's just the two of them and the stuff around it is better it kind of works well enough as the the middle chapters of this special issue so um over overall I, i'm relatively happy with this as, as far as these specials go with all the little short stories this is on the better end of it for sure it's good to know. Uh, if, if I'd realised it was more a special as opposed to the ending of a... You know, I was very much under the impression it was the end of the, the Adams run and then here's a few extra little backups on top. Yeah, I mean, most of his story beats did wrap up in the last issue, so it's not that surprising, mm. I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I hope that Wonder Woman's kind of similar because I've not been reading that run, but I do plan on reading issue 800 because it's setting up the new, the new run and it's setting up, uh, you know, whatever, so... Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully and that's that. becoming this month as well, right? I'm sure it is, yeah. Uh, mm. So, it, these are weird ones to rate, but I, I'd probably throw it an 8 overall. I think how excited that last story had me for the feel of what the new run's going to be uh, and the tone that it had, and it's so different from what Flash has been up until recently that like, I, I think it's a success story of an issue. Um with some other fun one-offs as well as a bonus and some okay things in the middle. So, yeah. Yeah, Flash 800. I, if you're a Flash fan, I think there's, there's some stuff to enjoy in here. Um, so, cool. All right, Batman 136 or Legacy 901. Uh, as I pointed out earlier, I really like that they're doing this. Uh, keep I up. do too. This, this way, we, we all win, right? Mm. Like, uh, none of us can complain. Yes. Um, and that is where my positive thoughts on this issue end. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. Uh, uh, I'll give it one more. Oh, sure. The Batacombs. I'm all there for that name. Sure. Uh... That's on the first page. But then, then, then my positive thoughts end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I, dislike it as much as the last two issues. I, I mean, I'll I say think that. This is, it's, it's an issue of fluff. Mm. And I think... I mean, if you throw this issue in the middle of a really fun run, and it's just this fluffy break, like, yeah, that's okay. But when it's supposed to be this this return after this really dark arc, like this is, you know, Bruce is really mentally subjected to a lot of stuff, and this is supposed to be, like, you know, showing how almost broken he is, I think it goes a little too far with the fluff. I think my issues with it are that when we left the regular universe and we followed him to this other universe for a while, like, Failsafe was still, like, doing stuff, and I feel like there's no, like, they talk about Failsafe that's, they say he's still out there in this issue, but it doesn't feel like he's got the city by the balls anymore or anything like that. He's just kind of not around. No, he's definitely not actively hunting for Batman either, like you'd think maybe he would be. Yeah, um... I I don't know. Like I I think I was interested when he first brought up the Batman of Zero NR, but now that we're still doing it and Bruce is still getting into his mind and talking to Zero NR, I'm just kind of 
Like, I'm so down in all the concepts that he's playing with right now in this story. Um, even down to the fact that when he goes to see Selena and Selena mentions, oh, by the way, Cobblepot faked his death. He's not dead. And Bruce is like, what? That's full breakdown. Like, I, what, what, what? I didn't kill him. That's why Failsafe wanted to, to like, come after me. You've seen all of this happened for nothing? And, and, and like, he's like, you're not meant to keep secrets from me. She's like, yeah, well, you weren't meant to keep secrets like Failsafe. And he's like, he's like, well, that was a secret from me too. Like, then how am I supposed to you know, work with this? <laughs> yeah also i think the art's a little like there's a lot of faces in this that i'm not super into uh particularly that. particularly whenever like we're looking at sort of a slightly down angle at someone's face i feel like they look especially kind of rough um, uh, there's the when selena's in disguise and she goes to take a bite of the sandwich and there's the shock of when she sees mm. bruce uh it's it's one specific panel that i just think looks rough rough i there's a trend as well, uh, you know, I know I say now, uh, women, when they have their mouths open, and for whatever reason, because there's, there's a panel of Babs that did the exact same to me, where I'm like, oh, that, that's kind of a weird panel. Yeah. Um, I, so the, the important things in here, other than just generally Bruce is having a bit of a nervous breakdown of because of everything that's going on, is and the family being there for him, you know, it ends with this kind of happy bit towards the end where like all the family have lured him back to the mansion to like hang out and have dinner because he's refusing to like relax. Uh, is that the penguin kids, the twins, are expanding the casino business and Bruce goes after to hunt some of that. Um, that doesn't go amazingly. No, nah, because the, the the son ends up having like super strength or something and beats the shit out of him. I don't even think he's super strong. Like it just sounds like he's just. He like because Bruce like oh he's fast he is strong and I underestimated him I don't think he is I don't know if he is super or not or if he is just you know uh, maybe yeah very strong like in a in a in a human sense though also he's hiding the fact that he's missing a hand and he's got like a robotic hand from everyone yeah. which I, I'm just see as soon as his hand was cut off I got annoyed because I'm like this is something that we're going to have to deal with for ages and then there's just going to be some weird like fix for it where someone gives him a perfect like you know looking hand that's actually cybernetic underneath and I'm like for the until we wreck on everything again I'm going to have to know that he's got like a cybernetic hand or, now or do we still have that cloning device that Scott Snyder created <laughs> oh I hope not because <laughs> we, we, we can just grow a clone and chop its hand off and so that, on that, this is kind of like that stuff where just conceptually I don't like something that you've included here and annoyingly it's going to just technically be there persisting until everything's retconned <laughs> Because you can't just, like, bring his real hand back all of a sudden. Unless there's magic involved, I guess, which maybe they will, I don't know. Has he got a robot hand at the minute? I'm, like, blanking already. It's just that forgetful, the, the hand he, stuff. He's got, when he's talking to Mr. Terrific at the start, he's got what looks like a sort of dark hand. Uh, so I assume it's some sort of mechanical thing, or... You know, they never really go into it as exactly what it is, but... Like, like yeah. I, I know he's wearing the gloves to cover it up, but I, I guess it's just robot hand. Yeah, well, that's just the easiest explanation, I guess. Uh, yeah. Or, or did he get something last issue at some point? I can't remember. I don't know. I was too busy being angry. <laughs> uh, also, there's a bit of dialogue in here that really stuck out to me, right? I don't think Zarsky's voice for Batman has typically been that great, but there's a line in here that sounded really off. It, it's the sort of thing I can see Nightwing saying. I can see Dick saying this and it, with a smirk in his face and it working. But especially given his Batman state right now, where he's like in a super dark place, like you said, after everything he's went through, he's he's basically broken. Yeah, 
he shows up at the sort of the mini casino because they're doing like little separate casinos outside the iceberg lounge like little private ones around the city and he finds the penguin kids right the twins and he comes in and the the the, the daughter says oh, i've heard you've already uh you know you were dying or something batman right um and batman says i i don't die ask your father and that's fine if a bit mean but the next part is if you've got a ouija board handy and i'm pal i wouldn't say that yeah, it's so weird as well because Zassi had such a great voice for for Batman in the uh, the miniseries they did. And the night. They're playing on the night. The night. Thank you. I had such a great handle on him there, and we were so excited for this run based on that. Yeah, based on that, I'd say even more so based on his Daredevil, which had the yeah, right sort of dark I, tone that I was I expecting. A combination of we've we've seen he can do it on Daredevil, and then he proved he can write. He can write Bruce. We we saw it in in that mini. And then this is just <laughs> miserable. It's, the sad thing is, is that we're back to the regular universe. So obviously, I'm happy that's over. But it's left now all it has actual repercussions. Though. Yeah, like it's it's left all these things dangling, and like oh, there's all these just elements of who the character is right now. That because I didn't like that story, and I never really bought into what he was going through in it. That I just don't like having to deal with any of it now. So. Like, I'm not sure, and we've got Night Terrors to deal with, and then we've got that stupid crossover with Catwoman that's going to take up two months. I mean, like, we're, like Batman's in a rough place right now for me. Like, I am so not excited about any of this. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't want to read Batman right now. Like, I just don't. I kind of feel like I have to because Batman. Yeah. But I don't want to. And yeah. knowing that I've got to get through Night Terrors, and then that Catwoman crossover There's where... A... I feel like I'm going to be forced into reading the Catwoman book as well, otherwise I'm going to have no context. Yeah, for two months. It, yeah, it's kind of weird that Batman is, like, so up on the echelon of, like, what constitutes the important books at DC that it feels like for us to actually to just not read it, would it would be mo- it would take an astronomical amount of shit <laughs> to, to get us to that point, I think. Yeah, honestly, by the time you get into September, October, it might be starting to feel that way. It, it may, but I, I feel like on some level I'll read this for the show just to talk about how shit it is at a certain point. And there's not a lot of books I'll do that with, right? Because I'll, I will, I'll, at the very least I'll put it this way, Zarsky's still relatively easy to read. It's not that much of a chore to get through this, even though I don't like any of it. Whereas a lot of books that I don't like, I don't like because I think they're a pain to read. And if they're a pain to read, I just don't want to read them. Um, This is that. a little bit different than that. So... Anywho, uh, yeah, um, so yeah, Bruce is hiding, like, you know, he's, he's shut off his, like, suits, like, system so Barbara can't see what his heart rate and stuff is, and all that nonsense. He's being super secretive, he has this fight with Selina, uh, that he ends up finding out that, uh, Penguin's not actually dead, um, so, and it's just all a bit. Uh, iffy. And I think what hurt, hurt that scene with Selena even more is that I knew we're building up to this crossover where she takes over the city, and it just made me like so not interested in what she's doing right now because I just don't like that direction. You know? It's one of those things where I'm not opposed to that direction inherently. No, but... I mean, no, I agree, but like, I mean, specifically in the sense that they've just announced, oh, we're doing this crossover in like a couple months, and she's going to yeah. be at this point. Like, if if Ram V's Catwoman was building up and it got to that point naturally, I wouldn't have a problem with it, right? Because it, 
But I feel really sad that I, I'm I'm nissed down on who Selena is right now because I was really into her think, stuff for a while. Okay, to play slight devil's advocate, um, for all we know, the current Catwoman book might be building towards that in a natural way. We're just not reading it. Okay, uh, yeah, but that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I can't really argue with that. But yeah, because us, us not liking the book and the style doesn't inherently mean that it's not pacing its own story beats correctly. Because I don't think that was ever, that, and we only read one issue, but that was not something we could judge from that. That, that is a fair point. Um, but I, I suppose it's... I, I think if you were reading that story and assuming you like it and assuming it's doing the right beats, like, you would probably feel that she feels right in this conversation. I think for me, she felt like, oh, Selena's kind of like angry now like she has this kind of vibe to her that's different from like the last few times she's interacted with batman even post all the near wedding stuff it's had kind of like a sort of sweet scent like you know i don't even think it was that long ago in detective that she popped up and helped save them uh for yeah. an issue and it had kind of this like okay we didn't get married but we still clearly love each other and we'll still be there for each other when the time you know calls for it Whereas this felt more aggressive and more i mean it, it was right off the bat where she was like oh you're coming yeah. to arrest me now yeah, yeah, it was, it was very... Whereas I don't think even, even like a year ago, I don't think we'd have even been considering that that was an option. Yeah, very strange. Uh, so, and maybe, yeah, maybe you say, like you say, the Catwoman solo book has built her up to this, but it's not the Catwoman that we've seen relatively recently in other books. And I think, yeah, you know, that, that, that feels a bit jarring because of it. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, they, they all come over, the Bat family all come over for some dinner and he's all happy about it but then he imagines the room burning on fire uh because he i mean the sad part is is that and i said this a lot during the, this last arc where like conceptually there was like one or two good ideas at the center of it that i kind of liked you know like there was there was that moment early on in that arc where he was like oh this goth this is a gotham and it needs a batman so i'm going to be the goddamn batman i actually kind of liked that moment in and of itself idea of bruce finding his inspiration of just ah, yeah yeah and i think the core thing here that i kind of like and on paper is the idea that's a story about him scared that he's going to lose the bat family and he's like worried about any like in a kind of not not even because there's actually a, a danger of it but because he's in this bad place where he's like becoming insecure there's, about them there's a really there's a really great kernel of an idea in that Bruce realizes he's getting old and he's getting slow. Like he underestimated mm. the, you know, the the cobblepot twin. Like he's like, I, this is why I, I don't think it was supposed to be that he's superpowered. I think it is. Bruce is getting old. He's off his game and he knows it. And that's why he's scared because he doesn't like. He keeps saying in this issue, Batman has to be, you know, perfect. Batman is is fine. Bruce can be broken, but Batman has to be great. And he knows he can't keep that up because he is getting too old. And that's probably building to something, which is which is fine. Like, and that's that's an okay direction. It's all, like, it's the sort of thing where I would hope. I don't think it is, but I would hope almost this story is building to Bruce's retiring almost. Yeah, I know that we seriously expect that to happen, but just that in theory, that's what it should that's, build. That's to. where it feels like the, the 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 seeds that this is planting right now. That's the direction I feel like you know in a year's time, give or take. We should be looking at Bruce being like, right, one of you, who, who's stepping up? Which, it's almost a shame if it does go down that route, because that's a really big story to tell in Batman. That's a big milestone story that will change things. 
it's a real shame if I'm like just miserable the entire way because I don't like how the story's actually been handled. And even more I... baffling is that it's by a writer who I thought could do a good job and isn't. Ballsiest move would be Zdarsky to build up that entire story, set off as Batman's over, you know, not 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 Batman's over, but you know, Bruce is retiring. He's hand off the cowl to whomever. And then you start a new issue one with a new writer, and it's and it's new Batman, not not Bruce. You stick with it, and then you go, like, "Hey, I set it up for you. Go wild." Hey, I mean, I was on Team Dick should still be Batman. <laughs> like, for, you know, when that happened, and uh, over a decade ago, <laughs> and I, I'd still be happy if Dick was still Batman, and we just kept going down that I path. But while I love Dick as Batman, I don't want Dick to be Batman again. I think, I think maybe this is the time for Tim to take a shot at it. I think Tim's the most natural successor in many ways and i think it would give tim something to actually do with his <laughs> recent identity crisis of mm. i don't even mean because like tim's got a book right now quality aside you know he has a book he has something to do objectively speaking in terms of you know there's a regular appearance of tim but he doesn't have a you know he's he, you know for the last few years he's been going through an identity crisis is he is he red robin is he robin you know who is he you know what's his purpose in the bat family I think him stepping up and having to be Batman would be a really interesting thing to do with Tim right now. Yeah, I think it's almost like the the medium of comics itself has shot this in the foot a little bit because I th- I still think Dick would be the perfect choice, except for the fact that we've done it already. That's the only kind of caveat. And, to and it. the fact that he does not want to do it. But that's why that's why he makes him perfect, though. Like it's the, the reluctant part that makes it even more tantalizing. See, I get that, but for me, like him being his own thing is still more interesting. I think I think I think Tim doesn't have that role that he's ever grown into. They tried with Red Robin; it didn't stick. I think him, it's still reluctant because it, would, but not in the same way as Dick. It would be more of a, "Am I ready to do this?" And, oh, sure, and even yeah. then, he'll be going the whole time where I'm. This is only temporary. I'm only Batman until Damien's ready to claim that mantle, and he has to. And you, over the course of the you know the the story of however long he's Batman, he has to earn not just to, you know to prove that he's Batman in general, but just for himself that he deserves it as much as Damien will do one day. It makes sense to go down that path. I'm not sure that's what we're building up to though. But anyway, nor am I. That's kind of wishful thinking almost. But um, and the thing is, even if it builds up to exactly what either of us want or expect. There's the point of, well, it doesn't we're still this, not enjoying it right now. Yeah, it still doesn't make these issues, issue to issue, any any better. And, you know, no. a lot of the fundamental problems are things like just the voice being off or just the characters feeling off. It's, or, it's, it's so weird because, like, parts of it are... The concepts are just not things we like right now. Like, you know, all the, the, the stuff with the other universe, the hand. You know, it's it's things in, in, in concept that we don't like, but there are things in concept we do like. Like... Batman going old, you know, you know these the you know things like that. But then there's the execution where some of it, I don't think there is a problem with the execution. Like I say, it's even though it's worse, it's an easy read. It, it's not overly dense. It's not like really hard to read. You know, the, the voices are there. Um, I'd say pretty still the most of the time, the voices are fine. Most of the time, then it's you, just, it sticks out when they're not, though. Yeah, but you do have those moments where things aren't quite right. Things aren't quick clicking. Uh, you know, and it just—it's a weird thing that where it's just not coming together in multiple places. It's on different levels where it's kind of fumbling. And it's not really in this issue, but there's been kind of a problem that's grown over his first two arcs where he 
Zarsky leans into the because Batman a bit too much. You know, like, as much as it was a fun issue to look at and actually read, like, Batman surviving descending back through orbit on, like, a bit mm-hmm. of metal was like, oh, this is this is the most ridiculous, silly shit. <laughs> like, Yeah, you, you and like, I thought Tynan was pretty egregious at because Batman and just throwing new gadgets at everything, but at least that was, like, that was... I could understand that was coming from a place of I want Batman to have fun with gadgets and cars and cool shit. But at least I had gadgets that were there to do the things. This, this, this. It feels yeah. like here and, and, he just... and uh, cooler gadgets than shark repellent. I mean, at least I understand what the point of that was. That was like a reference. Yeah, no, but that's the problem. It was too yeah. much of just this is a reference. Hey, oh yeah, it, oh, yeah. It, it, it was tons of that. Oh yeah, like there, there was that moment where you hit the Batman eighty nine page, and then I was like, wait, what are we doing? And then it starts going through everything. It's like, oh, here's the animated series, here's Beyond, here's Dark Knight Returns, here's other famous you know comic book stories and shit. Yeah, I had to actively, actively go against the point of things like Dark Knight Returns with the the joke and just be like, hey, did you kill him? Like. As if it wasn't intentionally like a mystery for decades. Ah, oh dear. Yeah. yeah. I really hate that issue, if you can't tell. <laughs> I really, really... Like, that's one of the worst issues I've read in a long time. And I read some shite that patrons make me read. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Um, honestly, it's funny, because I think that we read that issue right around the same time I saw the clip from The Flash where Michael Keaton says, Let's get nuts. <laughs> and it was it was like the perfect synchronizing of just like the same problem on both fronts. Yeah. It was just a oh. complete misunderstanding of of the point of why it's there and what's fun about it and what people actually like. Yeah, and just hey, you recognize this? It wasn't a goddamn catchphrase, okay? Um. Anyway, uh, the backup is Batman. Basically, just back in the days of like the creation of Failsafe and like Zuenar taking over and building Failsafe. And that's basically it. There's not really much to add, to be honest. Uh, Some nice art. Yeah, yeah. Like Corona. That's uh, he was doing the Batgirl's book, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like this yeah. art more than the the main story. I do as well. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it has that problem though, where I just sort of looked at it and went, "Oh, we're doing it's... the creation of failsafe." I'm kind of over this at this point. I I enjoyed the. The visual, just the fun kind of like, hey, it's a fight scene, basically. It's Batman versus Failsafe in like a training fight to see how mm. Failsafe's progressing. I enjoy it from a visual point of like, hey, this is some kind of fun action. Uh, Crone looks great. But I mean, the story is just like, <laughs> whatever. It's like seven or eight pages of fluff again. Yeah, I'm bored of fluff. You know that? I'm really, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting really Yeah, bored I want some meat. Uh, alright. Well, what are you rating Batman, then? I'm going to a 4.5. I don't think it's terrible, but it's just it's just below average of, of what I expect. Yeah, I'll give it a straight 5. I think my logic is, is that it's a perfectly fine put-together comic from a craft perspective, and that it's really easy to read and, you know, whatever, but I just don't like the story or conceptually what it's doing right now, and so the moments where the voices are off and some of the art I don't like, so... Yeah. Uh, I'll go five. I I I don't want to go straight into like seething hatred territory because it's not. Oh, I give the last issue a a, a one point five <laughs> score. So just you know, just for some context. I mean, I think that's maybe a little on the harsh side, but I did not like it either. <laughs> it made me angrier than any comic I've read in years. It deserved it. 
Ah, uh, yeah, Batman's in a rough, rough place right now. Uh, yeah. Sorry to say. Luckily, uh, I mean, Superman's kind of sketchy as well, but luckily, most of the other stuff I'm reading outside of those two books right now, pretty good, so... Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that is, like, really I mediocre, know. but I well. did say... I don't know, Green Arrow. Well, that's more Williamson, I suppose. That, that goes hand in hand with Superman, but... Uh, that, that's true. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, Adventures of Superman, John Ken, issue four, Tom Taylor writing with Derek Robertson on the art, which is a change, actually. It was Clayton Henry on the, the first... It was, and this is a change for the worse for me. I'm not a big fan of Robertson stuff. That's interesting, because it's a change for the better for me, because I don't like Clayton Henry that much. <laughs> Clayton Henry has one specific problem with the foreheads. That the elongated faces. He has very, very long faces on a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. But I tend to at least like his really clean lines. Um, Robertson, it's just, it never quite works for me. Like, he's always just a little bit too. Yeah, and I should specify, I'm not like super into this art either. I just, it doesn't annoy me as much as Clayton Henry's foreheads does. So I just, inherently, it's a bit better for me. That's definitely still a Clayton Henry cover, right? Because John's got a forehead. Oh yeah, massive forehead. Uh, yeah, so, I don't have to look. I just just see the forehead. And so die. I know for a fact that you hadn't read any of this until today. So you've read the first four issues. Um, yeah. I I am of the opinion that this is the best arc that Taylor's done for John Superman. I don't know if you feel similar. Oh, it's not even close. So you're agreeing with me? Yeah. Okay. Good. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like I, I think his yeah. uh, the uh, the previous John stuff we had was fine. Like it was always like. It was always coming up against Nightwing. I think we were always like, I mean, yeah, but Nightwing's just so much better. Maybe, the, you know, this isn't bad. And I stand by that. It wasn't a bad book. No, no, no. It was, it was perfectly solid. But I think this arc has gotten to the meat of things and the way it's using, you know, the Injustice Superman and, and John being challenged by these other versions of his father and this universe where his father did some... And I think, you know, this one, the last issue had that... Because I loved the last issue. The last issue had those great moments where... You know, we talked about seeing the fear on the person's face, and he like that told him everything mm -hmm. he needed to know about who this Superman was on this Earth. And I think this issue is very interesting because he's kind of like struggling with like like who do I side with here? Because uh, obviously I didn't read all the the Bender stuff where John was away. Uh -huh. I'm assuming all that stuff with Ultraman was in that book. Yeah, like, yeah, like him, we, him trapped in the volcano. Yeah, yeah. So he Ultraman was held him captive while he was in his teenage years on okay. uh, a different Earth. So. Um, I, I mean, I got it perfectly fine from context here, and I was yeah. like, ah, I guess that was all in that Bendis book. So it was nice that that kind of came into it, but it's also fun to like mix Ultraman with Injustice Superman, because it's like, okay, he's not as bad as Ultraman, Yet. but he's still bad. <laughs> he's, he's not actively hunting out other Supermen, but he has, he is kind of terrible on his own world. Yeah, no, he's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's pretty awful. And I, I kind of really like this setting of post-Injustice where... It's it. It seems like he's trying to be a kind of good guy. He's not as outright evil as he as he is at some point in the Injustice timeline, right? Uh, from um, what I know, yeah, because I've never read the comics. I've just I've I've watched through the first. I have, I have, I've watched both games actually. Now that I think about it. I've not played the yeah. second game myself, but I've, I've, I've watched. watched it. I've also watched the the movie, the animated movie that they did. Oh yeah, okay. I think he comes across a lot more evil in some of those. Whereas here, yes, he's a terrible fascist dictator. But it at least presents it as 
he thinks he's doing the right thing to some degree, right? He's he's, he's a little bit more charismatic than I think I, I traditionally think of as Injustice Superman. Yeah, they're almost going for something that's a little bit more Homelander here, and not in personality, obviously, but I mean, and mm. he's he's putting on a bit of a face that's the sort of the political friendly like version of who he is, but then the way other people talk about him being a tyrant, it, you know, it, it makes me think a little bit of Homelander and the Boys, and like, oh, he he's putting kind on. Of funny the funny you mentioned that. I'm pretty sure Derek Robinson's the uh, the artist for the Boys. Oh, is he? Oh, there you go. Uh, fun stuff, uh, and apparently Homelander's going to be in the new Mortal Kombat. So, uh, yeah, there was a leak of that, wasn't there? Yeah, it was, it's him and uh, Peacemaker. Was the, yeah, was the other one that I remember. So, I, I you know I like that you know the Lex of this universe goes to the Batman and his team and says, "Hey, this Ultraman dick from this other Earth was trying to kill Superman, and he had a way to do it. So we have to like look into this." And then John shows up and gets all pissy about it. And you know, Batman attacks. They 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 have a bit of a fight. Um, but what I liked about this is that once things do calm down, um, after John's like electric powers all flare up, is he yells out Bab's name? Right? He says, "Bab, stop!" And she's like, "Wait, you know who I am?" Like, because clearly, you know, the supers and that don't know who Barbara Gordon actually is, like, as Batgirl on this Earth. And it's like, okay, and there's an Alfred here. And it's this thing where he's not quite ready to accept that his father on this earth is necessarily the worst of the worst yet, or even though he suspects it. But, you know, he has this point where he's like, but this team has Alfred and Barbara Gordon, and that kind of, that kind of tells me a lot. a winning side, yeah. yeah. So, even though obviously he has his mixed feelings on Batman, uh, you know, he calls him a judgmental dick in every universe or something to that effect, um, it, it kind of sets up some, you know, and... Sure. Obviously, you would say Superman's obviously this great judge of character, so if he can be different here, then there's an argument that anyone could be. But, you know, you get his logic. Okay, these two are on this side on this earth, so maybe, you know... And this all leads him to going to see this universe's Jay, because he wants a, 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 a sort of outside-the-superhero opinion of everything that's going on. Just like the, the man in the street, if you will. And sure enough, Jay tells him what's going on and paints a pretty clear picture uh, that Superman killed Green Arrow, uh, that he's been... Black Canary. Yeah, he's a tyrant, all these things. Um, and I've glossed over as well that there's a scene with Damien, because Damien works for Superman on this Earth and gets all accusatory. I did particularly enjoy when John does the uh, the sound effect and is like, that's what you do when you, you, you know someone else is right, but you don't want to agree with them. <laughs> yeah. That, that noise, that sound effect, is probably the most Damien thing I, if you were to distill Damien into like one essence, mm-hmm. it's that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Like, like you know, when there's those things where they they want to show like reveal a character off panel, but they do it with a line of dialogue, and you and you see the line of dialogue, and you're like, is that who I think it is? And like you know, to get you excited first. That's yeah. all you have to do with Damien, and you know who it is. Yeah, I think, and, you know, the end of this issue is that Damien shows up to Jay and threatens him and says, what did you tell him? What was he talking about? Uh, so that's kind of the threat that we leave off on, but... Uh, yeah, because Damien planted a tracker on John. Yeah, so... Which I, I thought immediately was like, oh, God, he's going to lead him straight back to, you know, Batman and all the others, which mm-hmm. he might still. I didn't expect him to follow him to Jay, which is a little bit more sinister, I think, because mm-hmm. especially on this world where Jay's completely just a random civilian. Yeah, I don't think he has his powers here. Uh, yeah, it doesn't Earth. seem like it. Yeah, I I like this issue. I didn't think it was. I think, I think the last issue was probably my favorite issue of the the arc so far because it had that great moment where he's like, "This this this kid's scared of me." 
and like what that means. I, I th- and I thought the way it set it up with these conversations with this Superman, and it kind of it just it, it was so perfect the way it crescendoed to this realization, and it said so much so quickly because you just got it. Um, here is a bit more of the nitty gritty, and it's it's all solid stuff. I like him interacting with the other characters that he appreciates, but it's not quite as tight as last issue. I think for me, this is probably the weakest issue of the four. Again, not like it's it's still a good issue. Mm. You that'll become clear when I give it a score. Uh, I still like it a lot. I think for me, a combination of the art being again not bad, but less to my tastes. Let's be fair to say with that. Um, brings it down a little bit, and I just think they say it's not quite as tight. It definitely has more of a feeling of ah, oh, this is the next issue, as opposed to being this is the issue where this happens. Uh, if, if it's a little bit more transitionary in the arc. Yeah, I mean, when you compare it to the previous like endings, you know, like I think it was issue one or two ended with uh, Ultraman get his neck snapped with Injustice Superman. Like that, that's yep. like such a bold, like holy shit, like this is where we're going with this. Um. Whereas this doesn't leave it off at his... Like, obviously, yeah, it's going to put Damien against John, and that's going to be interesting, but it's... I think you can't have that moment at the end of every issue, because that yeah. would get old quick and you run out of shock value. But, yeah, it, this issue just feels like it's lacking a little bit of the spark, almost, that some of the other issues had. But not something that I'm concerned about going forward, but more just, like I say, it feels like a, a transitional issue in that, okay, this is... We're moving along to the next bit, and there'll be something exciting coming up. Yeah, and it's issue four, so it makes sense we're at that point for the six. Yeah. So, uh, all right. What are you giving Avengers of Superman, John Ken, issue four? Uh, I'm going to give it a seven. I think it's, it's pretty good still. Yeah, I agree with a seven. I think, yeah, art's not amazing, and I don't think it's got those emotional high points that the last issue did, which I really loved, but it's a solid middle issue. Uh, so not really too much to complain about. Um, all right, Shazam issue two, Mark Wade writing with Dan Mora on the art. So, uh, so interesting ending to issue one was Shazam going kind of off the rails and yelling at people and saying he's better <laughs> to the press. Do you know what's kind of funny? So uh-huh. was a, I read these two issues back to back as well because. Uh, turns out I've not been on, on this week of the show for a little while, so I had some catch-up. Uh-huh. Um, there was a point during the issue where I'm like, huh, Dan Mora's drawing Shazam really like Zachary Levi. I'm like, eh, I'm not really feeling that right now. Because there's, there's a lot of bit on his face, and, and kind, kind, turns out he's kind of a dick. Um, especially if you've, if you've seen any of the stuff that he's kind of been doing on Twitter lately. Uh, really it? unfortunate. But who's a dick? Zachary Levi. Oh, okay. I think I meant Dan Mora. <laughs> no, no. Dan Mora's lovely. I'm, okay. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Just, just keep a track of who's uh, the dick. <laughs> no, no, no. Levi. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not really feeling... Like, why do we have to base it on him so much? Because it very clearly is. And then I got to the end of that issue where he's kind of going off the rails nuts. And all of a sudden, I'm like... Do you know what? <laughs> it kind of fits. I get it. I get it. I, 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 I think it might have been an actual creative choice now, as opposed to just, let's make it look like the actor that, that happens to be Shazam right now. Yeah, and SG-1 set up a lot of interesting things where the gods like basically want to like, take the powers back from Billy and want to discredit him, effectively. Uh, so some interesting things set up in this book so far. 
and this one features him basically trying to figure out like what happened like why did he say all these things the other kids are asking him why did you say these things and he's like i don't know was it like mind control so i didn't really feel like mind control but you know and we get this interesting kind of thing later on in the issue where psycho pirate shows up and like i think it's freddy's like hey psycho pirate that's why it's you his, said all those things his, his whole thing is yeah and I was like, oh, this is kind of a genius red herring. And it, I think it's not frustrating because we already know it's not him. Right? We already, yeah. as the also, audience know. If you see Psycho Pirate, of course you would think that. Yeah, and I think it's also smart that by the end of the issue, it makes it clear to Billy that that's not what it was. That it wasn't him that did this. Because yeah. um, he's like, because he starts getting angry again and he wants to kill Psycho Pirate, but his mask's off and he's like, I don't have powers when the mask's not on. So it's not me. <laughs> and he's well, like, that, that's, that's a perfect example of what I was talking about of where he looks like uh, Zachary Levi when he, in mm. this book. Uh, if you look at the panel, it's uh, there's, there's a guy on the train that's like, hey, stop, stop, you'll kill him. And he goes, so? And then underneath, there's the, the light bulb switching as he realizes what he's saying. And it's like a close-up on the eyes. And it's like very 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 obvious in that panel like just in in that shot there of of who the reference is uh and i think it's just such a it, it went from a choice i was so not happy about to it to a great one and doing it especially is it being so uh, obvious in these moments where it is these really heightened emotions uh because like, it's really like it's quite dark out of nowhere almost like it just turns Oh yeah, and, then, and there is that that light bulb moment. It's proper evil. I, I will say that I still think his face is chunky enough, you know, in the classic Captain Marvel way. That I don't necessarily see that much Zachary Levi. I can kind of see what you're saying, but I, I, I don't it's, think it's like just completely. It's not. Over- it's not all the time. Like I say I, I didn't notice it in every panel, but like that one there, there was a few panels in the first issue specifically that I really noticed it, um, especially when he's being uh, in a side-on view. Um, there's a lot of good art in this issue, though. I especially like the page where Psycho Pirate thinks he's got away in the train, the subway, and then there's this like the the page of like Shazam catching or stopping the train. Like I, I think that yeah. page is fantastic. You feel the momentum, the pacing. Uh, like he really knows how to do the action scenes, and I think Wade Wade's sensibilities are so good for for cheesier comic book ideas, where he, he really sort of loves being that sort of side of things and it makes it makes them work and i think that's why maybe shazam is like the perfect character for him to tackle um yeah. and then and then obviously you throw more on it i, I don't know how this man keeps up a monthly schedule <laughs> I, honestly yeah it's pretty wonderful and you know we're talking about the big beats of the issue we've, we've left out the uh the dinosaur like lawyer dinosaur or... lawyer in the, <laughs> the suit that is amazing yeah he shows up and basically says that shazam's getting sued because he didn't have like, the appropriate paperwork filled out to send the other dinosaurs back to their home planet um, it's, it's a t-rex with a monocle what, what more can he ask for it, it's pretty delightful yeah it's, it's great and then the other big plot beat of the issue is that freddy goes to the rock of eternity to try and figure things out or spy or whatever and he ends up overhearing all the gods talking about billy and uh gets uh gets now this is actually this is actually titled the epilogue or epilogue one i should say there's two epilogues yes. um so that's kind of a big cliffhanger as that he gets caught listening to them so I like that. I also I really liked that uh, there was one point in the issue where Billy says he wished he had the X-ray vision of and then he paused and he's like, Some god with really good eyesight <laughs> and I thought that was quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. 
so you know it, it's making me laugh I, you know you got fun stuff like the, the dinosaur like, I didn't expect any dinosaur aliens to come back and I, I, I certainly didn't expect it to be with a monocle and it, like it was such a little like fluffy opening to a Shazam yeah. look I was like okay this is a kind of a, a nice little you know heartwarming little intro yeah that's, all, that's what I thought and it was to actually yeah. bring it back and it this being this recurring comedy gag now yeah I, I'm so into it uh because it's, it's not a million miles away from like the lizards and stuff like that that Shazam sometimes no, deals with. No, um, obviously we have a tiger living with them. Of, of know, course, it, yeah. It's already in the realms of, hey, we, we deal with some weird stuff anyway. Yeah, all the stuff with uh, Shazam chasing Psycho Pirate, though, and the train stuff, like, all of that looks so gorgeous, and uh, the momentum of it. Like, so I, it, It's that page where, the, where he stops the train. Do you know what I think is so good about it? It's the angles. So the train is clearly like he's stopping at an angle. It's like going up slightly. It's like yeah. lifted at like a, not quite 45 degree, maybe like a 30 degree angle. But the panel at the top where you see the inside is still like perfectly, perfectly level across the page. So you have people falling across and you have, you're seeing the train at the angle. So it really gives you that weird perspective and it makes it feel that you feel the motion and the, the angle of it even more. Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, the panel's straight across at the top, but the actual angle, it's like a Dutch angle inside the panel, even though the panel's straight. So yeah. it feels like even more of a turn when you actually see yeah. the, the bigger panel underneath it. Yeah. It's, it's so impressive in terms of just the, uh, the combination of the, the layouts and the perspective work. Yeah, it's really simple. Also, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Psycho Pirate just be a guy who does criminal stuff, but the idea that he wants to steal the Mona Lisa because it's like a, to do with like feelings and expressions, I thought was a little funny. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. I'm, I'm down to see more low-key Psycho Pirate stuff. It's, it, it kind of feels like every time you see him, it's like, oh, uh, here we go, end it of the world. Well, it's very heavy, yeah. But I mean, I loved his stuff in the, the, the Detective t- comic story, The Tower. I thought that was... Yeah, but that was a little... Again, it was a bit different where he was being used. Yeah. This here, like, when he's running away, like, t- to get away onto the subway and he's just making them feel all the different things. And it's not, like, as heavy as before, but I I, I, I really like the lettering touch of using the uh, the red highlight for whenever it's uh, an emotion that he's inflaming. Hmm. It's like, oh, oh yeah. interest, bored, you know, no interest, you know, well, yeah, know, like, afraid. When, he, when he's running through the crowd in the train station section and he's just telling them all to, like, hate Shazam or whatever he says, and you all just see their eyes, like, turning red and looking at him, it reminded me of, uh, of all things, I was thinking a little bit of the first season of Jessica Jones with Kilgrave and how he would just make people do mm. things, and it would feel really scary that he'd just make people do anything. And I was like, you know what, you could totally do a Kilgrave-style plot with Psycho Pirate at some point, and really be yeah i think i think that'd be interesting because like i can say I, i'm down to recontextualize psycho pirate into still being scary i'm not saying make him a joke but bring him back down to earth where it's not like ah oh, okay every time we see him we're terrified of crisis level events anymore yeah yeah because i don't think he's ever felt silly but there's always kind of a darkness to him which i think he can still keep but yeah there's maybe more variety to use him for uh than just yeah. you know worlds will live worlds will die so on so yeah. on um and there's a little one page second epilogue at the end which is a little tease for it's just mary coming home and trying to play a video game and i noticed i just i don't want to go too much out of this but i love how when they make fake controllers here their their thing here to just make it clear that this is not copyright infringement or whatever is it, on the on side wrong yeah, sides yeah they've put the d-pad on the right and it just felt weird i was like 
what is this? Some sort of like Mirror Master universe? Like, <laughs> it's so wrong, and I hate it. But yeah. I, I understand it, but I hate it. Yeah, it's just it's so weird. I I get that it's a really simple thing to, and the, the funny thing is though, as time goes on, they are like you can tell this is definitely like them adjusting like a PS5 controller because it's even got the area where the touchpad would go. It's definitely a DualShock, yeah. Yeah, so you can definitely feel like oh. Uh, but they've specifically made the buttons more Nintendo looking, just so that there's again it's, it's mixing even, things even up. with the um like the ovals around the t- the buttons to split them into the two groups. Yeah. But the overall shape definitely looks more Dual Shock or Dual Sense, I should say. Now these days, uh, but anyway, right. uh, she falls asleep uh, whilst trying to play a game, and it just says, you know, this is this is the little tease for like Night Terrors, is that you know she's going to have a nightmare. Which I'm sure uh, I'm not down inherently on this specific Night Terrors, just. Uh, I don't want to be reminded that it's a thing. No, I know. I but like Mary was so great in that mini, and I think Wade's still writing yeah. this one. So like, no, I have no fair. reason to be down about this one specifically. Uh, it's fair. Something else I was noticing. Uh, it's I, I say I noticed on this last page. It's in. It's earlier in the book as well, but it reminded me here. The inclusion of thought bubbles. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a, again kind of an old school comic technique now. Like it's not something you see very often. It's. It's usually now you only see it in terms of like intentional like referencing like Silver Age things stuff like that because we move to caption boxes. I like this book that it just does it very naturally. It still feels like it's a an old school comic in that sense. That's kind of the vibe Wade's been going for. It's a very classic feeling book, uh, as a lot of Wade's things tend to be. Let's be fair, uh, but it doesn't feel like it's done like in a, a cheesy referencing kind of way. It's just in this is the the aesthetic of the book, and it it does it feels really natural. Yeah, this is like I've loved his world's finest pretty much, and I've enjoyed some of the other little things that he's done here or there since he came back to DC. But this kind of feels like the match made in heaven for like what he should be doing, and it's only two issues mm-hmm. so far, but it feels like yeah, this this is exactly the sort of quality I was expecting, and he's doing things that I couldn't have predicted, which is making it as fun as it I is. I think what I like more about this book than World's Feist, and again, I don't think World's Feist is a bad book. I'm enjoying it for the most part. I've I've, I've been up and down it a little bit compared to you, but overall, good book. I think what I like more about him on Shazam uh, is it's a more natural fit for his tone with that kind of that Silver Agey vibe that he likes. Without, not necessarily the feeling in terms of how dense or anything like that, but just the the the, the tone and the, that he has, and he can do that with Shazam because it matches that character really naturally, and have it set present day DCU. It doesn't have to be like this, like his world's finest book is this. Oh, it's this throwback book that's set sometime yeah. some years ago. Just don't don't think about it too hard. It, it'll all line up. Don't worry about it. There's definitely other things I could see him working with though. Like I, like I think he would be a killer person to put on a new Terrifics book. Like, I think having the Terrifics would work really well. It's, um, again, that's the same sort of thing where it's like, it's kind of just a Fantastic Four, kind of like cheesy family yeah, vibe. Yeah, but I think that's why it would work, is that it gets yeah. away with being that slightly lighter tone. Um, or even be a young Teen Titans team. Like, not maybe your your Titans, but your, like, more Young Justice Age type characters. Which you kind of did with Impulse, I suppose, back in the day, but... Yeah. Um, I, I could see it working. Well, you know, like, but... Yeah, I hope this it goes as long as it can. I think he has a nice fit for characters that are inherently a little bit more light-hearted. Yeah, but um, without sacrificing weight for them, because he's very good at yeah, writing the weight yeah, for them. Yeah, and, I was going to say, like, this doesn't feel like it's just, again, to you know, our, our word of the, of the moment. <laughs> this is not fluff. 
Yeah, uh, and, and obviously he's good at like cause, I mean he wrote Birthright, which is obviously a celebrated Superman story. Of course, but... this is not to say he doesn't have range and can't do other things. I just think this is where he excels. Yeah, no, it's very very good. Uh, what are you rating Shazam issue two? Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight point five. Yeah, we'll go with point five. <laughs> I'll give it the nine. I'm uh, I'm you know this was my Ooh. this was my happy time of the week. Well, I, I mean, you do you. Uh, the, the great time for Shazam uh, so there you go Steelworks issue 1 written by Michael Dorn Worf from Star Trek and mm-hmm. art by Sammy Basri so yeah this obviously was announced a while ago and CD didn't like the, the I think Action 1050 ever had like a little short that was kind of leading into it Um, but yeah it's basically finally that tower that they were building the Steelworks tower has actually been fixed up <laughs> since it got destroyed and Steel's making his big grand speech and the supers are all there to usher in this uh like new era um but obviously because this is Steel's book now it starts to expand to more of his life so we see Lana watching on the tv and we have a scene with her later where you know they seem to be engaged based on the ring uh that's usually what that means yeah, yeah on the finger um and I thought it did some interesting world building where it showed you like some of these areas of Metropolis that are empty. Like, you know, there's like a park, that's, there's no kids in the swings and things like that. It's kind of making a point of saying, hey, like, not all of the city's great right now. And that's kind of the, what Steel's setting out to try and fix. He wants to make it better and safer uh, in different ways. But the big thing that he's going for, though, is to set up infrastructure and it sounds like he's literally installing shields on buildings so that when big things happen, <laughs> the buildings don't get knocked down, which, Sensible. given Metropolis, makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. But he's also building up to the idea that he wants to maybe suggest that the supers don't get involved as much or something. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he certainly su- is suggesting that him and Nat don't steal up anymore uh, because, well, like, he doesn't regret doing any of that. The idea is that but that's only like a fix in the moment as opposed to actually fixing something from the ground up where you're removing all the potential for all the danger and things like that. Um, of course, I would throw in, yeah, but a lot of your threats come from like space <laughs> that you have no control over. So Yeah, those, those are not great. Yeah, uh, worth keeping that in mind, I'd say, still. But um, yeah, I mean, before we get to the villain side of things, like I, I think I think this was decent enough. I, I think it, you know, it set the tone for what he's trying to do. Um it tying all the characters together by showing them all listen to his speech on TV, I think was a nice way of like connecting it all and making it all feel like part of one world. Uh, it's a tried and true method. Even the villain that's getting introduced is listening to it early on. So, I think the craft as a comic is, is solid enough. Ah, this is where I, I disagree. I think conceptually, mm. nice ideas. I like what it's doing. Um, in terms of the craft, I couldn't finish the issue. I got about two-thirds through, and it was just so much dialogue, so much Whoa. text and walls of it. Like, I got to... It was just after... It was basically the end of the scene. Uh, it's after he's talking with Natasha. There's a scene after that. I got to about there. I think it's with, with Lana. Sure. It was just... But it was just pages and pages where I just felt like so much dialogue. Like, and every speech bubble was huge. And I just got, I was like, I can't read it anymore. I don't think it's that bad. To be, I, I mean, I was skimming through the pages, and yeah, there's maybe one or two pages. I get false insecurity. There's a few pages in a row where I'm like, this isn't so bad. 
and then I get a page which is wall of text, and that happened like three or four times, and I just kind of got sick of it. There's that two-page spread uh, page where he's talking to Natasha where it's, there's a lot of bubbles, and I can sort of agree with that there is, page. But it's, again, it's not even necessarily just the amount of bubbles, it's the size of them as well. Like, even early on, when um, I think I was watching the TV, there's a lot of like, dense bubbles on that one. Um, obviously, there is that two-page spread that is huge. Uh, it's the one uh, he's with Lana just after that scene. It's kind of this is the one that tapped me out. Whereas that uh, that middle third panel, where it's just all just like there's like six bubbles and all of them are quite big bubbles. And I was just like, oh, this is so much dialogue. I don't think it's that bad. I I, I think it's infrequent enough that it didn't really stick out too much to me. Um, it was a lot for me. Reading. Maybe it was a combination of reading this alongside a lot of other issues at the same time to catch up with everything but it felt like i was reading a lot in this issue and it felt like it was really it, slow going it's the sort of thing where if, if the whole issue is like that i can see like i i can have a problem with that but because it is only you know three or four pages out of the whole book and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of pages where it is mostly quiet where it's you know like the the villain that's being introduced is walking around and there's not really a lot of being said on those pages or whatever until he meets some other villain that's going to do some experiment on him to turn him into a supervillain, which seems to be what's happening at the end. Um, basically, the villain's like, oh, he's going to give out all this free energy to the city, but that doesn't really work for all the energy companies, so we have to mm. take take care of Steel, and that seems to be the motivation. Um, I will say there was one little weird moment at the end uh, from a, a comic sort of craft point of view. is uh, So the henchman for the bad guy in the red suit uh, who's like sort of recruiting this drunk who's like mad that he's lost his family and blames Steel on some level because when Steel like quit his job during Death of Superman it had a roll-on effect that ended up everyone losing their jobs. Um, I just assumed he was racist at first to be honest until they explained it more. <laughs> but uh, I mean, they gave us some backstory. Yeah, he probably is a bit racist too to be fair but um, there's a moment where the henchman like throws him into like a room and then the very next panel is this villain with the long hair, you know, the drunk guy, walking back out the room butt naked, and like he's obviously censored with the speech bubble. But, um, like I, I'm guessing there was a time jump there where like he would get, you know, we went into the room and some stuff happened, and he came back out. But it just the pacing didn't make it feel that way, so it just it read really clunky to me. You never yeah. got. You never got uh, to no, this I'm, page. I'm, I'm skimming. Uh, like, I'm because it turns out there's like five or six pages is kind of after where I got to, so I'm kind of just skimming it now to see where there's still a lot of dialogue. Um, I, I see the bit you're on about though, because yeah, he, he throws him in the door and he comes out. Yeah, what the f did you do to me? It definitely. I don't know if that was meant to be a time jump or if something happened in that room that maybe maybe there was time passed for him but not for us. I feel it. I feel like you have to show him like crashing through the door to at least because it looks like he's going towards a closed door in that first panel, and then he comes out. Yeah, so it just yeah. it feels really clunky, and I'm not really sure what the sequence of events is here. It, I don't know. It's one of those things where I would never even think about this until I see it done like this, where it's wrong, and I know I'm questioning like uh, what actually happened here. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. And if it, if it's meant to be like they went into a room, they did something mysterious we're not meant to know about yet. I still don't get the feeling that they've teased that properly. So no, like, like I said, my best assumption is he the, the time has passed for him somehow. Like they said, like, I don't know, alternate dimension, little pocket dimension or something. And he comes back out, but time hasn't passed for us and all the characters outside, like the uh, 
you know the 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 villain in the red suit. Yeah, I think the uh, ending. I'm not sure on that. The ending is probably the biggest negative I have for the book is between that like weird uh, kerfuffle and just the last couple pages, which is this guy seemingly showing up at Steelworks and the alarm going off. Like the cliffhangers, like Natasha in her suit on the ground floor, just being like, "Okay, let's take care of this threat," and it's just like to be continued. I thought it felt like a really weak cliffhanger because I thought up until that point, I thought building this guy who's angry and drunk has some kind of vendetta against uh, John Henry, and then this like rich guy in a red suit recruits him. I'm like, okay, you're building up some what I, what feels like a new villain. I mean, maybe this is taken from somewhere, but it's it's doing a good job at least of like establishing someone who feels new to me, and then. Steele's speech being this like sort of connective tissue that links everyone else together early on and then setting up his relationship with Lana. I thought all that stuff was was solid. It's given him a supporting cast, which is nice to have because because Steele's usually a supporting character. It was nice to have a supporting cast for him. Um and Lana's a character I like as well, so it's a shame that we don't get to see her that much these days. So yeah. like yeah, you know, I was enjoying all those beats. I think the art's just kind of typical okay house style, you know? Yeah, that's just seen their work be better i feel like but then i think a lot of the times that i've seen the work it's been in backups or yeah. anthologies it, it's over been like over like 10 pages Bajri feels like he would be the next replacement on uh adventures of superman john kent and it'd be a slight upgrade to the ones that have been on that already but not like a huge upgrade definitely fits that style though yeah uh you know it's very clean uh, a bit flat in places there's, but... a, there's a again a problem i found with a lot of current house style artists at DC a weird separation of layers between uh, our characters and the backgrounds it feels like they're not in a real place mm. like it feels like there's like an extra like layer around them it doesn't doesn't feel like they're actually in the scene they're just kind of paced on top it's particularly bad on that double page because um, uh, if you look around steel there's like a white outline around him and I know there's no actual background there but it makes it feel even more unnatural because because he's still casting a shadow they're still in theory they're still in a room there's still a light source but that white background and like that white light and it's not just around like the front like that's where the light's hitting him because that's the direction of the shadow it's around the back on the cape as well it just adds to this separation effect i think that page is a weird way to bring this up in just because it's kind of like it is but it's not the only one i see on the very next no, page no, no i agree but i'm just saying that because that page is like this sort of conceptual thing where the basically the background's a bunch of flashbacks it's like well it's not really there so it, it, it they should feel separate on in that occasion but there are other pages where like the guy with the red suit is talking to the long-haired drunk and like their backgrounds feel like they're a different layer in photoshop and they feel like they've got like a like a, a blurry effect on it to make it look out of focus like it just kind of feels like yeah, this feels like two different bits of art or something. I mean, like even together. even just like the very next page after that double, there's a there's a the second panel down is uh, he's he's laughing around the top of his head. It's blue around the uh, there's like a blue outline as if it's still the window behind him, even though that part of his head is against the ceiling, so there shouldn't be that weird outline of light there. Like if it's the same around uh, Natasha as well, like it's the exact same outline all the way around, and it's really jarring, as if the window is just continuing around their head, and you can just see the sky outside for like a little like millimeter, and it just gives this false separation. It's like a glitch in a video game where you get light bleed. Like yeah. It's not meant to be there, but it shows up anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll admit that doesn't stick out to me too much. I agree, it's a flaw. 
but it's not one that jumps out to my eye quite as much. It's because it's because it's so consistent in this issue. It really bothers me. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I yeah, I think I think for me the storytelling got murky towards the end between the confusion of like what happens to this guy and then just kind of the the, the weak cliffhanger. It was definitely the weakest section of the book for me. Whereas otherwise, I thought it did an okay job of like establishing, okay, this is what the book is. It definitely feels like one of those minis, though, that it's like, you know, there's going to be a very small audience that actually reads all this. It's going to, you know, not set the world on fire. Was, was this not announced as an ongoing? I, 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 I don't, don't think so. I, I don't, because it doesn't say one of anything on the front. Uh, I mean, maybe it's maybe. But there's a lot of books that could come out recently that could be either or that just depending on sales, <laughs> either become one or don't. It's usually the other way around, though. They usually announce it as a mini, and then it gets extended. Well, usually, but there's been a few other examples that are kind of murky recently in solicits. Oh, but, really? Yeah, this this is not, like, surreal at this point, given the last few months. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, Green Arrow was another one that was meant to be a mini, and then it's kind of maybe an ongoing now. It's... But... Right, okay, so the original solicit did have it as one of six, mm-hmm. but it does not say one of six on the cover, so unless it's been extended that I don't know about. I'm no, pre- this, is, this is not the only time, though, that they've not put one of whatever on the cover, though, for a mini. It's not, but they have been doing it the last couple of years pretty consistently. Yeah, but what I'm saying, though, the last few months have been more murky, where they've been getting no, a little bit fair. more wishy-washy with this. So that's I, I don't think any of this is concrete one way or the other. Um... So, I don't know. But I think it's an alright first issue. It's not, it's not setting your world on fire. I think if you like the character John Henry, uh, or even just some of the other extended characters from the Superman mythos, like like Lana and Natasha, then you may get something a little bit out of it. But it is, it's hard to recommend as a... As a book to read on Infinite and a month later, it seems like, yeah, why not give it a try? Is a is a book to pick up and actually like pay for the the new issues? It feels like a tougher sell to me. Yeah, and I I definitely feel the uh, like kind of the stunt casting right with with Dawn here. Like it's it's like ah oh, hey we go and can heal. He's he's voiced the character. It doesn't feel like I feel like he maybe needed some more help with actually writing comics as opposed to just uh, like I'm sure like if if all the ideas are his. Like some really good ideas and concepts. I just don't think the execution's there. I think maybe needed a co-writer. That's probably where some of those worded panels or bubbles come from. Yeah, it's probably something that he can see himself like say saying these monologues, like and giving them, and it being a compelling performance. Like he's you know he, maybe he's reading these out back to himself as like you know acting them out because that's how he does things. But I, I don't think it reads that well. Yeah. Okay. All right, what are you giving Steelworks issue one? Um, I'm going to give it like a, a four. In that. I don't <laughs> think it's, it's not terrible. I, I couldn't finish it because of the dialogue, but it's not terrible conceptually. It's not the worst thing ever, but I, I, I don't really like it very much. Yeah, I think that's a bit hard. I, I think I'm at like a 6.5, I'd say. Um, I think there's some good ideas. I think that it mostly reads well enough um, up until I think it falls apart a little bit in the last few pages, effectively. Uh, so yeah. Well, well, I'll see. I mean, well, I, I, I think there's a good chance I'll read issue two, and I'll see if like how it holds up. It's the sort of thing, though. I feel like a lot of these minis tend to have an okay issue one, and then all of the problems like multiply when you get yeah. to issue two. So 
I'll be curious to see if that happens with this one. Uh, but assuming it's a similar size week uh, next month. In fact, next month will be Night Terrors, so I mean, I don't even know like how busy the week will be. <laughs> you might have about a thousand Night Terrors uh, books there. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's... That's it's okay. It's okay. Some nice ideas. Uh, that still works. All right. Dark Knights of Steel, issue 11, Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri on the art. Um, this is, you know, Clark and Bruce bonding. This is the Bruce of this world finally kind of like saying, hey, maybe all these like metas that I've locked up in the jail cells uh, shouldn't be down here. Although it did lead to a good little laugh where I think it's Harley who jumps in and says, yes, but the actual criminals who have murdered people will not be getting released. And then you just see Calendar Man be like, ah, Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> But, it is. Uh, I think Joe Elliott about this issue. Uh, my favorite thing about this issue, and it's probably one of my favorite things about this entire book, which I've been a little oh, bit I'm, more looked. I'm really on. intrigued to see what you're going to say now because I have no idea where you're going. Right. And, unless, um, um, can I make one guess? Make with a one guess. Word? Alfred. No. Oh, okay. I thought that was. Gonna, I, I thought maybe you were going. With well, that okay, stuff. well, it's fine. Don't get me wrong. But you know, we've pulled on the Alpha strings a lot in various different ways recently, so it's not. I, I mean, Tom Taylor's done it a lot. Let's be honest. Yeah, and it means more Nightwing though, because it's the actual Alfred as opposed to. Yeah, I mean, he he even did it in the in the first deceased book quite a bit. So, no, my favorite thing about this, and this is like sort of a standalone thing, separate from like the overall story or continuity that I really like, is just a storytelling thing. You know, I love rules, I love mechanics, and I love trying to think about how to use those rules. You do, yeah. The characters in this issue, they know that the White Martians can't handle fire. So the entire defense is based around, okay, how can we use that? So they build a moat of fire. They get a lot of wood and burn it, so they've got fire surrounding the castle at all times. It felt like, to me, that part of a movie where the characters are using their brains, and they're like, okay... This is their one weakness, and this is what we can do to like keep them away. But of course, there's always that threat of, can we keep all this burning forever? Probably I, not. I, I, actually, I love this concept in that it's one, like you say, it's 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 physically impossible to sustain it forever. Yes. And two, it doesn't solve the problem. It buys them time. Yes, it, it buys them like. I guess the best I can compare it to is in Aliens where they get the turrets up and they've got that little safe area for, like, you know, the middle chunk of the movie. It buys yeah. them time to think. It buys them time to, okay, what do we do when this threat really gets here? But it's a... I don't know. I love this type of thing. I love using mechanics and mechanics you've set up. So this, for it's me... It's using mechanics that we're familiar with because Martians. Yeah. Uh, not exclusive to this book, you know, but then using it in a specific way that is suitable for this setting. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've been up and down a little bit in the book because, you know, the premise doesn't sing to me quite as much, but th this part of it, like, works regardless of, like, what the setting is. It's just about, okay, the characters have been faced with this problem, here's how they can tackle it, and here's... So, I don't know, I was enjoying this in the way that I would enjoy a story like that in a movie, in this issue, in a way that, you know, most of the book, and this goes for a lot of comics sometimes, especially when Tom Taylor is, like, juggling all these, like, cool different takes on like this grand mythology with a hundred different characters but a lot of the time it can feel like throughout this and throughout the sea steven where you've got oh this is how he's remixing this character or this is how he's remixing this idea this felt like this wasn't about remixing anything this was just using the things that have been established to tell a compelling part of the story 
and mm. i really enjoyed that i felt like i wasn't just like oh we're revealing who this person really is this it, issue it wasn't or, a new take on something yeah. like that it was it, it was new t- take in the sense of okay it's setting appropriate by using you know a moat and you know just burning wood right as opposed to anything high tech but it's very much just fire right that's always been the one thing also uh lara forging a phantom zone projector <laughs> i thought was kind of funny yeah it was a little bit different i got a kick out of that because uh, I'm like, what's she building? What's she building? She's welding something. What's it's she building? I'm like, oh, okay. This is like, oh, this will send them to a prison. And I'm like, oh, it's a Phantom Zone projector. <laughs> like, yeah. very nice, very nice. Uh, so, yeah, no, and obviously the the twist that Amanda Waller was working with the White Martians all along, like, is the most unsurprising. They're, they're it's not people, and I don't mean that in a complain complaining way. Like, it's natural that she has been doing this because she wants. It's like she's made a deal for the elves to still rule because she wants her side to like win, and she's going to yeah. do it at any cost. And she doesn't know how to deal with the fact that now the elves are like, no, we're going to work with the the Amazons, and we're going to work with the 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 mages or whatever they're calling the Black Lightning. Uh, yeah, this, this is not not even like a a different take or like revealing. This is just Waller doing Waller things. Waller is the same in every time period in every universe. Yeah, it just happens to be instead of the US, she's working for the the L royal family. Yeah. So, but ultimately, somehow, it's all about her own goals because it always is. Naturally, yes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I actually quite like this issue. It's probably one of my favorites of the. The, the whole thing because of that just because I, I really enjoyed the mechanics of them dealing with the the story in it and it sets up as well the white martians have got this big meteor or, or kryptonite that they're going to use to hopefully kill the kryptonians yeah. so and then uh you've got a really nice heart to heart with bruce and alfred obviously is now he, he you know, we, we know as as marshman hunter and he's like hey he's the green man but ultimately he comes to well hey you know it doesn't matter you were still alfred all those years yeah that that bond's still there, and uh, and Manhunter didn't expect that. Like he he was expecting, oh, like hey, you know, you you're gonna hate me. I get it. Yeah. Also, it's, it's, it's the same with with Clark at the start as well. I mean, like hey, you know, hey, now we actually are brothers. It's it's fine. Like it, there's 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 a lot of you, the normal expectation of just everyone being angry and upset at each other is kind of subverted. Yeah, and another thing that's very Amanda Waller is that when she goes to meet the White Martians at the end and one comes up kind of threatening to her, she has effectively what's her version of the bomb in the neck in this timeline where she sort of sets him on fire with like a defense mechanism and he just burns and he basically tur- dusts like a vampire out of the head television show, but for the Vampire Slayer. Damn it. <laughs> but it's kind of like you. that though. It's, 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 it, kind of, it kind of is, but I hate you still. <laughs> So yeah, more bonus points for it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Bonus points. Yeah, we got we got Zala. She can be the vampire slayer. Oh god, Zala the vampire slayer. Look, there's already a book like this, and it's it's something's killing the children. <laughs> I know you read that. I do, but you you really do. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So no, I like mechanics. I like rules. I like setting up the weakness for your monster, and then. The heroes using that in a strategic way. I like strategy. I like strategy. Damn it! I like, like in this world of works. Obviously, you're less keen in general on magic, and what Wall has done here is essentially just magic. Eh, deal with the devil. But it's still just all about it's fire, right? It's like you you hurt me, you get fire. Yeah. 
and it, it's it's still a, all right. It's it's maybe a little hand wavy as ah, I made a deal, but I mean, is it any more hand wavy? Just eh, you got a bomb in your neck. Deal with it. Yeah, no, it, it feels thematically similar enough that it makes sense for Waller to be using it. Yeah. So. So no, and obviously Petri's art continues to be great. Yeah, Petri's yeah. art's uh, obviously very solid, very detailed art. I would say. Yep, uh, that's why this book has been so inconsistent. I assume in its release schedule has oh, been. It's been, yeah, it's been wildly inconsistent. That should have finished like eight months as, ago. As much as it's definitely hurt the pace of the book month to month, I still do think it was the right choice long term because this is going to make you know a very nice hardcover. Oh yeah, I mean, I get it, but it's that thing where there was a period in the middle there where I was like, like every time we got a new issue, I was like, what the hell even happened the last time? Because it's been like three months, you know? It's, yeah, it's not been as as bad the last couple of issues. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what are you rating Dark Knights of Steel issue 11? Uh, I'm going to give it uh, an 8. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with the 8, I think, on this. Uh, it was good stuff. So, there you go. Um, so... Um, I I could have done a Patreon book this week, but I left it till next week because next week I only have like three books, so it just made more sense to wait till then. That's, that's good to know. I could have done one this week, but I had five issues of Batman, four <laughs> issues of, of Superman, two issues of Shazam. Yes, yes. You had catching up on top of all the yeah. regular issues. Uh, so I'll be back with Batman and the Outsiders uh, next week. Uh, if you're looking How's that up. what you're doing now? Yeah, that, that replaced uh, Animal Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be doing the next issue of that uh, next week. If, if anything, what I actually did was I did American Vampire a week early because it was a week five. So, you know, mm. it works out all the same anyway. But uh, that is the, the, the book. So I'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week, favorite panel slash moment, favorite cover, and, uh, you know, best art, top five books. So did you have a, ma- uh, a panel slash moment of the week, Connor? Um. I think I'm just going to go with the T-Rex at the door in Shazam. <laughs> just the, the just the, the page turn into the full page spread of just... There's a T-Rex in a monocle and a top hat saying good afternoon. I think that's understandable. Um, I think my immediate thing to go to is him stopping the train. I think that page is just wonderful. Also great, yeah. Uh, uh, that said, there's a lot of good pages in the some of the Flash stories, but I, I think that's what I'll pick, though. Um, so very good. Uh, cover of the week, you got something for that? Um, it's tough. There's there's a lot of good ones. I'm just glancing at uh, some of the Shazam ones because I hadn't looked at those yet. But uh, there is a Del Otto Batman variant with the lightning behind him that is pretty stunning looking. It's, I like it in when it was. Oh, I can see the small thumbnail. Once I saw it, like a little bit bigger. I'm not really big on his. I don't know, the actual Batman proportions just I like it. doesn't doesn't quite work for me. I do really like the uh, the art germ Tim though. I think the art germ one, like I don't know if he's like art germ smoothness works for Batman's head as much. But I mean that's just maybe a taste thing. <laughs> I don't know what else. Art germ did the Tim cover though. Uh there's an art germ cover where Batman and Tim are both there. Oh sorry, it's Cedric, not not Art Germ, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say. Cedric, I'm not, yeah, I'm I was, not I was th- uh, sorry. I was thinking Cedric. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I do like the uh, the Argent one. Um, I think I'm gonna go with the uh, the Michael Cho cover for Flash, though. Uh, shout out to the Somni cover for Shazam. Uh, obviously, reunite with Wade, even if it's just for a cover, is nice. 
Mm -hmm. But yeah, the uh, the Cho cover for for Flash. We got the multiple flashes. You got Jay there, and just in in Cho's typical bold block colors. Looks great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the. I, I kind of like the Javier Rodriguez one, except Flash's face. I don't mm. like that his face is like this, like just bright white, flat colors. But I think the suit and the the running motion looks great. Yeah, it's very very flat colors. Yeah, uh, I think the rest of it looks great, other than his like you know bottom half of his face basically. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, honestly though, I th I think I just have to go with. Um, Either Mora's regular cover for Shazam, um, but I also kind of like the uh, Steve Lieber one. To be honest, where he's like a, the pirate he's one. a pirate, and the T Rex that's, is in the background yeah, of the pirate that's, hat as that's well. Also very fun. Yeah, I'm kind of into that. Uh, so yeah, but uh, I I did quite like the Batman cover though as well. The uh, the one you didn't like, <laughs> the lot the lot one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So very good. Um, all right, best art of the week. Oh, it's tough. It, it it comes down to Mora or Pucci, really, let's be honest. Um, both are great. I think I am going to give it to Mora, just slightly. But, I mean, I mean it, there's not much in it. I'm going to give it to Mora. Uh, I am going to shout out the artist uh, for the, the size Spurrier Flash story, though. I did really like that, and I'm excited to see more of that. The Diodata one. Yeah, but... Um, Mora obviously did a full issue. Um, yeah. We talked about it pretty in depth because it was fantastic. So it's kind of hard not to pick that. So uh, there you go. All right, top five or as many as you read. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty sure Shazam's at the top. Yeah, Shazam. Then Dark Knight to Steel. Uh, Adventure Superman still good, and then uh, I, I guess Batman. But Batman's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I'll go Shazam at number one. Number two will probably be Flash, 800. Number three, Dark Knights of Steel. Number four, Adventures of Superman, John Kent. And then number five, Steelworks. <laughs> hey, Batman's not even on my top five. I read six books. Hey, Matt will be so proud of you. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe it, maybe it made the top five last month just because there was less books. I don't know. I can't remember. But if, if there was more than five books, I guarantee you it didn't make the top five then either. If it made the top five last month, then I have words for you. Like I say, it may have just been less than five books. I can't, I, I can't change the laws of numbers. Of course you can. You made up the rule of top five. Based on actual numbers. Just make it a top three. Make it a top four if you have to, just to not <laughs> include it. Based on based on maths. That's that's what's important here. Anyway, that's uh, our, our picks for this week of DC Comics. I will now tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics. We have Green Lantern, issue 2. We have Superman Lost, issue 4. We got Batman Incorporated, issue 9. Spirit World, issue 2. Wildcats, issue 8. Multiversity, Harley screws up the DCU, issue 4. Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, The Glass House, issue 3. Waller vs. Wildstorm, issue 2. DC Pride, to do the Years, issue 1. Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries, issue 9. And Mad Magazine, issue 32. Um, so Spirit World I wasn't super hot on last month but given that I only have two other books means I will give issue two <laughs> another try did you read Waller vs. Wildstorm or I, I don't no I don't think I did I, I want to say 
I don't remember why, though. I don't remember why I didn't read it. I don't know why you didn't read it. I want to... I want to say I just didn't realise it was out the week it was out. Possible. It's entirely possible that's why. I also... You know, I'm not that familiar with Wildstorm stuff. So maybe... Could be that, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, regardless, uh, that's what's coming. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll throw in a, a couple of random extras if I want to catch up or try something. But uh, uh, I'll definitely I'm do a page. I'm looking forward to more Green Lantern, though. I quite enjoyed that first issue. I did enjoy uh, Green Lantern. Me and Matt were fairly positive on it. Um, you know, we, we both appreciated it was back to just down to Earth and not space hopping for a while. Yeah, I was a little bit more cautious going because obviously you you two have been really enjoying adams's flash stuff whereas yeah, i didn't yeah. really enjoy what i read of that early on so, um i i like that more than what i tried from his flash though and Zamanico's art right so that's always great yeah art was great and then johnson's backup uh was was promising yep. enough as well so yeah no i'm looking forward to green Lantern next week no yeah, and i think i i definitely enjoyed spirit world more than you did by the sounds of it yeah spirit world was definitely my least favorite of the uh of that line you know i loved vigil um i quite liked city boy and in spirit it's, world like i don't hate it but it's definitely less to my taste just because of what it is that's fair um but yeah so yeah quite a week but uh we'll both do some patreon books i might throw in like a an extra random book or two uh if i feel like it we'll see what, what sort of extra random book well i did review alien issue one like a month ago and i didn't read issue two oh. last week so maybe i'll read issue two of that <laughs> I talk about Fair it. Fair enough. Just because I kind of want to. Um, or maybe I'll read issue one of something that's killing the children. Maybe, that, maybe that'll maybe that be something Ooh, nice. Oh, do that. That do people that. might want to hear my thoughts on. Um, since it's Tynan and people, people 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 who like our show probably like Tynan. I, I was, I, that's one of those books I did not have the experience of reading that monthly as it came out. I, I caught up with the, the first deluxe edition. Yeah. So I kind of just read it in one big chunk there, but very good. Hmm. Yeah. And then you've got Department of Truth, which is almost you know, just as good in, in a very different way. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll throw up like a vote on Patreon or something and see if people want to pick like a sort of recent Random issue. A yeah. recent like series that I might read on the show that's not quite the Patreon because it's not one person picking it, but you know, here, here's a choice of like three or four books that I, I want to read. At least books you're interested in, so I'm not yeah, just yeah. read this shit, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, you know, you need to pay a high price for that. I'm not, yeah. that's, that's not something you just get willy-nilly. Um, but, uh, yeah, especially for these quieter weeks where there is only maybe three or four books, uh, it's maybe a good good thing to throw in. But uh, that is... Uh, that's the show. That is uh, episode 360 of Comics from the Multiverse. If you are a patron and you waited up late for the early version of this, apologies for it being a bit later than normal. Connor had to delay the recording a few hours compared to normal, so uh, it'll just naturally be up later in the night. But, but it's here, and I'm here. That's an oh, what, in itself. What a comfort. What a comfort oh, that is uh, to them. The people, have, the people have missed me. They missed my cynicism. Mm. Bring you back down to earth. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. No, they'll, they'll tell you. They'll tell you how much they miss my cynicism. I don't know. Anyway, that is the show. As episode 360, we'll be back next week with ish, issue three, episode 361. Uh, so look forward uh, to that. Let us know what you thought of the this week's books and the comments are on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast. 
um, any and all uh, way you want to talk to us is fine. Uh, but that is the show, and we'll see you next time. Of course, you can support all the content over at patreon.com slash TV. Uh, $5 and up, you get early access to the show whenever it's ready, sometime late on a Saturday. And as I said, even later than normal this week. Uh, but you can look at it this way. It'll be there for when you wake up on the Sunday, as opposed to waiting to the release time. Um, isn't that the most important thing? With everything else. It depends on your time. I feel like if you're in the UK, it's probably always just a wake up on Sunday thing, because it's always after midnight or time by the time I actually get it out. Yeah, but like Sunday morning is just you know just a casual Sunday afternoon. You can chill in the sun, have have a drink, listen to the show. That's that's the best time for it. Yeah, I... <laughs> everyone knows that. Yes, but uh, yeah. this, is why, this is why you should be a patron. You can experience that. And if you can't support us on Patreon, that's okay. It'll be there for the start of your work week. Uh, just uh, you know, like comment and all the other usual things that help out so uh, that is the show we'll see you next time keep reading DC comics and always remember to never get lost in the speed force